what's the real reality of the situation? Because we even have bigger producers like TM88 said a couple years ago. You remember when he said he ain't get paid for EXO uh, Toy Life a couple years ago? So I called the radio. I called Diamond Cuts like, yo, who is that? She was like, it's this kid I'm working with named Uzi. He fired. And I remember waking up nine o'clock in the morning, people walking over and tapping me like, yo, pack up. They bombing the world, man. You got to go home or do whatever you got to do. Everybody, I'm looking outside. People got their luggage. The main excuse I hear all the time is time. I ain't got no time to do it. Bulls What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. So listen, y'all, we posted the IG clip like three or four months ago. We got to redo it. But we got Mimi today, y'all. So we got Mimi from Producer Culture. Yeah, y'all favorite person. <laughs> and you already know we got Don Cannon, yes, a.k.a. Sir. the yes, GOAT, sir. a.k.a. the Labor Executive, a.k.a. I could go through the credits, but it's going to last forever. But I'm going to go through them. We got Jeezy, 50 Cent, Lil Uzi, Rick Ross, Future, ASAP Rocky, G Herbo, Big Sean, Playboy Cardi, Currency. I'm missing like a hundred more. Ain't it? Yeah, you are, but it's all good. <laughs> I take those. Those are those are some of my favorites anyway. And this is the co-founder of Generation New Records, man. So let's get into it. So before we get into the questions, of course, because I'm here, we gotta do some icebreakers. So if we had ringtones today, what would your ringtone be? I got a ringtone right now. You do? What yeah, is it? It's Austin Powers. Oh. Is it corny to put your beat tag as a ringtone? Yeah. I think that I is think it's corny. corny. I think it's like almost like you're feeling yourself. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to. I don't want to be like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like that. But but it's also part of branding too. Like if yeah. you pull up, I just feel like if you're in a room and your phone ring, but you in there with them guys like Sunny Digital and Southside, and then yeah yeah uh, ringtone go off, and it's like play it on the beat. It's like they gonna be like, bro, you corny and shit for that. Like what's going on here? But yeah, it's fun. But Austin Powers is one. Uh, I used to have uh, the Minions singing EXO Tour Life. That was like when we were going through. Uh, XO Tour Life was like the biggest record out at the time. That's hard. So I had like the Minions version of that, but those are two. But I gotta give me a ringtone now. Yeah. Okay. So what is one thing you would change about yourself? One thing I would change about myself. Hmm. Uh it's a tough question because it's a, it's it's two it's two answers I have. One is uh not to be so humble. You know what I mean? Sometimes humble can kill you on a uh on a work level because people kind to try to uh undervalue what you bring to the table right you know what i mean uh the second part was uh <laughs> i want six pack everybody's dream is like you know what i mean they they growing up when he was older like my mom was like they whole dream was to have the big house with the white picket fence mine's was like man i want to be on a beach with a six pack. <laughs> I'm fat as hell, so you know. Right. <laughs> so, what's your eating habits like, though? My eating habits are great. Um, my fiance, she, I call her the OG vegan. She was eating plant based since 2005. Oh damn! So I didn't listen to her for the first ten years, uh, and it took me to get like almost wore down from being in sessions and smoking and eating Jr. Crickets every day and fries and all the nonsense to one day at my body shut down. I just was like, bro, I went to the doctor. He was like, man, if you don't get yourself together, I'm going to put you on some medicine. And um, I went home. I told her, she was like, we ain't doing none of that. She she signed me up for a gym uh, membership at uh, Octopus, which is like a, a MMA joint. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to run into the old homies that trained. He lost like 400 pounds himself. He was like, yo, I'm going to show you how to do it without paying for the gym. 
Shout out to wifey. Like, you just give me, you give me some lunch money, and I'll show you how to do it. We, I've been rocking with him ever since. So basically, we just, you know, I go out there eat. My eating habits, like, you know, last week I just went raw. I ate all raw food last week. I didn't eat anything else. I never really ate meat at all. I never ate beef and pork. Uh, chicken was something I had. It was tough to get rid of. Yeah. I did that five years ago. Uh, I still partake in some fish every now and then, so I'll do um, like a salmon every couple weeks. But I mainly eat vegetables and fruits. But I have this guilty pleasure since I work out. Like every weekend, I have a cheat meal, and that's pizza. Like I can't get rid of pizza. And once I get rid of that, bro, I'm six pack. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't you think I get rid legs? of chicken. I eat crab legs, but not in a traditional way of the South. Like we from up north, so. We don't have them all in the bag with all the juices and stuff. We have Old Bay seasoning and stuff like that. So, like, I, I'll i eat them in that motion. Like, I'm a little bougie. I'll go to Whole Foods and get the crab legs, had them steam it, and then put, like, the Old Bay on it, like, lightly. Okay. It's not as a bunch of garlic. As long as you can eat crab and, legs. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't I eat crab, crab legs. legs. Yeah, got to eat crab legs. Okay, so what do you consider your greatest accomplishment so far? Uh, my greatest accomplishment uh, right now was... um getting rid of the stereotypes. Uh, when I was doing a lot of the music, when I first came up, uh, the stereotype was I gave you the classic record that everybody loved. You know, so it was like everywhere I went, it was like, bro, that record was incredible. Until uh, I got rid of the stereotypes and started making hit records. Mm -hmm. And that's where like, that was my biggest accomplishment because it was always hard for me to do that. Just um, basically being in the culture and wanting that, you want that love from your fellowship producers and, and writers that you made the best beat on somebody's album. And um, once many years of doing it, I just was like, man, I gotta, I gotta break the mold, you know what I mean? Right. And I finally did. So that was like my biggest accomplishment, just breaking the stereotypes. Yeah. Okay, so we're gonna get into the questions now. And my first question for you is, um, because we've been seeing like a lot of ads, we've been seeing a lot of uh, campaigns going on around it. So tell us about your app and like what were your initial goals for the app when you first started versus what are your initial what are your goals now that it has taken off? So tomorrow app is a marketplace uh, for creatives to get paid and it started as such and bringing in clients to find creatives. I think connecting the dots is so hard nowadays because um, everybody has these prerequisites and everybody's out to burn somebody out of a job and you know um, when I used to go do these panels and these speaking engagements people would come up and ask the question. The first thing is, how do I get on? And I just didn't have an answer. My answer was, just keep working hard and you're going to get it. And I think that's just a cop-out that many of us use because um, on the come-up, you just it's more than just hard work. Right. You know what I mean? It's politics involved. Um, it's being in the right place at the right time. You know what I'm saying? All those things. So I wanted to come up with something that actually met the requirement of helping creatives and not just saying I'm helping creatives. You know what I mean? So again, uh, with my fiance, she had this idea in her head to make an app to help the creatives because she was in um, styling. She was once a singer, got into styling artists and helping artists get to that level. And um, she had a friend that was in the styling industry, was styling on sets, like movie sets and things of that nature. And uh, she wind up having to do a door dash because she couldn't stay in her field because it wasn't enough jobs. It wasn't enough times where she got paid in time. It was like net 60, net 30, net 90. So 
we put our heads together to kind of f- make a hub or a place where people can stay in their field, get jobs, get paid, and you know the tomorrows get paid as easy as tomorrow. A lot of times, creators go on DMs, they do this job, somebody will vanish on them, you know, won't pay them, you'll never see them. Um, they do six, seven variations and get paid for one. It's just a lot of stuff that goes on. And I was trying to move past that and help the creatives conquer a space to make themselves bigger than what they are. Like, I feel like the creatives is the most important thing in the world. You know what I mean? I once was a creator. I still create at some, at some points, but you know, I'm, I'm in a space where, um, I can't be inspiration without giving something back. You know what I mean? And this is me giving back to the creative to understand uh, you can become the next one and still get paid. A lot of people are the next one now and still don't have the next one money in their pocket. And I think that was an issue. And I think that uh, we solved it. Uh, we're, we're, We're not comparing to nobody. We ain't dissing nobody on this way up. We're just giving a chance. Like I see a lot of people that have producer apps. I love it. Engineer apps. I love it. But we're making a whole uh, a hub. You know, there's lawyers on the come up that ain't gonna be able to get uh, to be little baby's lawyer that fast, or you know, or you know, a marketing team that's not gonna be able to give an idea to Twenty One Savage and Drake's uh, album uh, cycle or whatever. And I think that um, that's a way to treat some of the stuff that's going on is with this app. So you know, um, I encourage everybody to get on the app set up a profile, even just to show your work. I've had a lot of people that just don't have jobs set up, but just was like, yo, here's my portfolio. I just want you to see it, pull up the app and I can see the work. I can go to Spotify, listen right there. And it's not really social. I feel like the social gets in the way of that a lot. Um, we've had times where uh, we were on Instagram and we've seen like, you know, a dude trying to get some work from a female, but then really trying to holler at her, like, you know what I mean? Or, do give somebody a beat and just want to give a piece of the beat. Like all those things come with social. And I wanted to take the social out of it and make it just a strong work network where people can be cool with people, but it's not a lot of yatter in the messages. It's like, totally it's business. the job, <laughs> you yeah. know, you get selected, uh, your money goes into an escrow until the job is done. You press the job is done. The money goes into your account. It's very easy. I ain't gonna lie. That's only too hard, bro. I'll just sit there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, that shit is it's, it's ill. You know what I mean? And we're doing testimonies. Like, I don't know if anybody's seen on the page, like on tomorrow at testimony, it's like, not only are we setting it up, but we also taking up and coming creatives, people that are already there and we're doing their story, their side of what's going on out here. Like people need, like people need their story to be heard. You need to be, I've seen you work in there with Sunny Digital making beats. And I was like, damn, he good as hell. Like he needs a story. Like, you know what I mean? Everybody needs more than just, they business card. They need like something to speak because most creatives don't speak most. We in there working. We got this ill laboratory making all these crazy products, but we don't have somebody to tell the story for them. So that's like important too. So that's one of the things we're doing through the media is just giving people a chance to speak, you know, on, on both sides, the female side, the male side, you know what I mean? All that. So what do you think was like the greatest piece of feedback you've received from your app so far? Uh, the greatest piece of feedback we got was um the actual layout of the app it doesn't look like nothing it's not we didn't go copy uber we didn't take a template from instagram and make it the same thing we actually came up with our own mainframe of what it looks like and how smooth it works um that's one the second one is the media part of it like i was saying like just pushing these creatives and pushing these clients 
to get engaged with each other. And um, they was like, man, I just seen an interview with, uh, 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 what's my man name? Uh, Turbo the Great. And it was amazing what he had to say. But guess what? We wouldn't know what Turbo the Great had to say if we didn't put it in a platform space for him to do it. Like most oftentimes, the reason why I pressed to do this interview again, because I was able to speak to these guys about things that I normally don't get a chance to say. Everybody looks at me as like a muse or some type of idol and just want to live off of what they're saying instead of, hey, let me ask him an interesting question that, you know what I mean, I can answer. And they'd be like, damn, I didn't even know he spoke like that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that helps uh, That helps uh, people understand where they're going instead of just saying, I want to be him. It's like, oh, shit, I want to take what he said. I don't even want to be him. I just want to take what he said and kind of apply it to some rules, you know? So that's like the the biggest achievements we've had for the app is just being able to be there and show people that it's people just like us. I came up wanting to be Baby and Jay-Z and all these guys, you know what I'm saying? When I got to, um, when I got over the hump of it, I realized I took things from them to make myself, Right. you know what I mean? And instead of just going there and just wearing what Jay-Z had on or wearing what Birdman had on, it was just There's like- pieces of each. Exactly, yeah. so that's where I'm trying to give out so people can get. I think TB's over there checking out the app. Right, so this, <laughs> uh, this is over there. Bird guy, costume designer, mm-hmm. hairstylist, barber, yep. makeup artist. It's a random ass question, but what makes a good barber? Um, a, this is what I'd say for all creatives. <laughs> it's the intricacy that goes into this. Do they be putting the, the white line on your shit right at the nah, time? Nah, <laughs> nah. <laughs> hey, my, my barber I grew up with, but he incredible. Yeah. Like, you go to his page, he incredible, but he don't got the white lines. Now, there are some times where they, they do this to, the white line is from, um like, something they put on your skin to show the actual line, and then they shave it, and that's what brings the white line, so... That's what I see sometimes when I get a cut, but I have to wipe it off. It ain't no draw the pencil first. That's all the new age. That's the new age barber stuff, man. You know what I mean? Shot the quad ear, by the way. <laughs> now, this is hard. It was really like the one-stop shop. That's what I think. Yeah, and we're opening up more. Like I said, we haven't even gotten to the marketing. We haven't gotten to the lawyers. We haven't got podcasters on there yet. We're just building it out so it's a place where people can go. Like Everyone I was talking to, go, yeah. Yeah, talking to Ferrari Simmons, and he does Ball Alert. And he didn't get a chance. They don't have a a, um, a studio yet. And I, I sat with this guy, and he had this crazy studio, but nobody's going to it. So I try to connect them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I want that to happen, too. I want you to be in L.A. and be able to be like, get on the app. But, oh, the studio, but I want to book it for four hours and book it. Bro, that would be <laughs> hard. I swear, I swear yeah, to you, I swear hard. to you, like, it was like, I said like a year and a half ago, me, Dylan, and Sonny was talking. He was like, bro, is this app in L.A. where, like, I could... I go to LA and I'm looking for a studio and they got like hundreds of studios that no one know about and I could just book time. Yeah. yeah. I was well, like, bro, that'd be so hard. We have one in Atlanta or like Miami or somewhere. That's you know what, what I'm saying? saying. We, don't, we don't have that. We don't have those outlets. We and it's good. People don't use their money. Like, you know, I'm, I'm all for what people use their money for because it's none of my business. But at the same time, we got to put more into the community. Like, uh-huh. you know, it's all good for me to have a nice car, but it's all good, really good, if we got something in the community that people can use. Like, you might have a couple bucks to come use this studio and go, boom, I'm in this joint. You know what I'm saying? But you might not know how to go about it because 
that might not be your forte. You might not be as vocal to try to find TC or Royce or somebody to kind of like book the studio or be reach out to me like, yo, bro, you think I get a day? Like, you might just want to be on your own. Like, man, come up stuff and be like, yo, I'm gonna just book it right here. You know what I'm saying? So that's important. Like the outlets, like we don't have outlets. We just suffer from that. So we just continue to make them, you know? Yeah, I'm definitely gonna go download the app. I wonder what's gonna be my profile picture though, since. <laughs> he used my picture for his profile picture on your app. Oh, he crazy for that. <laughs> you crazy for that. So let me ask you a question about like starting up businesses. Like, of course you got a plan when you made this app, but you said earlier, like y'all got more stuff on the way to come. And I feel like the biggest thing with just people who want to start something is they wait for like the perfect time to do it. Like, what's your advice on that? You can't wait for time, man. I just right. talked about this uh, in Philadelphia. I spoke to some kids in Philadelphia, and my the guy said, yo, I'm 17, and everybody say, take my time and, and wait. I got years, and it's like, we don't. Like, we're seeing the tragic uh, things that's happening in hip-hop with all these rappers, bro. It's, just, it's heart-wrenching, you know what I mean? And it's like, I don't want anybody to rush, but I want people to maximize and use their time, you know right. what I mean? Because if you don't use your time well, you could look at it and your time be up. You know, that's just reality and that's life. That's what comes with it, you know? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, I encourage anybody that has the idea or has the money or has the resources to do it, do it. Let's not wait for the right time. There is no right time. Like, you could be like, yo, I'm saving this beat. I'm waiting for ASAP Rocky to walk through that door. But you might be in there with Sonny and, you know, or Seti and play it, and then said he give it to A$AP Rocky, and there you go. But you was waiting for the perfect time to mm -hmm. get it to Rocky. So you missed your opportunity. Yes. So there is no perfect time to start a business. It, you you can do it now. The research, like, right now, like, you can start your LLC right now on the internet yourself. You go, <laughs> you go, they got so much stuff that you could set the joint up or whatever you want. You know, uh, there's a little bit uh, more things that's costly, like an app is costly. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you take the right steps, you know, make a business plan or just do the right things, maybe you can get to an investor that will help you with it or you can take it to the bank and get a loan or things of that nature. But, you know, for the most part, websites, starting a company, all that's really easy. Um, spreading the word is not easy, but it's just something you can you can do. Like, you know, I'm at I, where I'm at, it's like nobody gave me favors for tomorrow. At, like, I didn't ask for them, but the people I took it to, they was like, yeah, yeah. Cannon, another idea. We know you seven and oh with ideas, but you know, and then now it's like, okay, I see, I see, I see. But you know, we're all, it's every time we're bringing a new product, you gotta kind of market it and bring it and, and, and be, you know, fully behind it in order for it to work. So it's not, it's not the hardest thing, but it's not, uh, it's, I mean, it's not the easiest thing, but it's not the hardest thing at the mm -hmm. same time, you know. So like, let's just get toxic real quick for a second. So like, <laughs> what's some like BS excuses that you hear a lot? Cause I ain't, I ain't trying to like down anybody, but I'm just saying like, it's 2022, about to be 2023. We got a lot of resources now. Like, even if we go back like 10 years ago, we didn't have the apps, the tutorials, yep. just all this shit that we, we were at Clubhouse. We didn't have none of that. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So like, what are other excuses that you hear? And it's like, bro, chill out. The main excuse I hear all the time is time. I ain't got no time to do it. Bullshit. You know what I mean? Uh, the second one would be, I don't have the money. And I think I'm 50-50 with that. There's some people that don't have the money, but there's people that have the money but don't have the money. And what I mean by that is, if you're getting $10,000 for a beat, if you're getting $5,000 for a beat, 
the first thing people are doing is getting their first set of earrings, um, they first watch, uh, it, it, they first pair denim tears or Jordan one off whites. Like think about that when you're thinking about your business. You know what I mean? If I'm getting a check, you know, uh, as young folks, like I'm telling everybody, I got first got my pub deal. I went crazy. You know what I mean? But I didn't have no mentor. We didn't have nobody like Kevin Lyles come wrap their arm around us or Russell Simmons like, yo, this is how y'all do it. Mm -hmm. We was just winging it. We didn't know. But we spent money. We made money. We spent money again, made money. So it's like um, now that we have, we didn't have the resources. The resources now allow you to not to skip past blowing your money. You know what I'm saying? You can get any amount of money and get going crazy right now if you're persistent and, and, you know, you know, not to tell your business, but you're setting up something and um, it was brought to me and that's out, that's off the hip for you. You know right. what I'm saying? But you're taking the right step to get there, whether to who, it don't matter. Your dad's funding it, you're funding yourself, or you scraping up pennies. It's just something you taking a step further to do, you know, instead of uh, just complaining all the time. I hear a lot of complaining, a lot of people, yo, bro, I got this happening or, I got kids and I feel all that, but like go hard. Like vicious story I always tell is like Eminem went hard so long and he had a, a kid, you know what I'm saying? Like everybody say, once you have a kid, your career is over. It's like, he went hard. So like the excuses I hear, like you talk about getting toxic, it's just time. The People don't got the money when they be lying, they be capping, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, they don't want to talk to nobody, like, you know, People be on a introvert shit. Mm. Don't want to speak to nobody. Then you don't want no business. Those mouths don't get fed. Yeah. So like those are all the excuses, but it's a lot more random ones. People be like, "Yo, I ain't really finished the idea yet. Hey. <laughs> Why you ain't finished the idea yet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's all that come like you know. I just flip it a little bit for when I first pe- meet people with beats. Right. First thing they say to us is what it ain't mixed yet, but yeah. Like, I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? It came raw. I started raw. The next, uh-huh. They act like I started with my beats mixed at 13 years old. Like, nah, my beats wasn't mixed either. You know what I'm saying? So that, like, that's another excuse that we start seeing in, in the producer world. It's like, it ain't mixed yet, but this just a rough. Oh, I'm doing this, but you know, I, I got to get the drums correct. You've been Just doing lately on stream, ain't it? Yeah. I can tell. Cause <laughs> 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 That's exactly, I just did so too. That's exactly what <laughs> yeah, so, you know what I mean? It's crazy because I don't know if y'all heard of Mappa. It's this 14-year-old producer. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, C-Note told me about him first. Then Willie Joe, one of my A&Rs, brought it to me. And I finally got a chance to sit down with him. I do a stream on Friday with tomorrow. tomorrow. And he came on. He had no excuses at 14 years old. So he was a prodigy. He came in here. I was. He didn't say, "Yo, I don't got my computer today." Yo, I I don't really rock with Logic. I don't really rock with uh, Ableton or whatever. He came and sat down, asked him two questions. I said, "You want to cook up?" He was like, "Grabbed his mouse, got the cooking up." So I'm like, "Yo, you use loops?" He like, "Nah, I cook up from the jump." He made a melody. He cooked up three beats. He was in his own world. It was no excuses. And I remember that's how I was when I was young. You know what I mean? I just made beats and you asked, I gave it to you. Now we get in the 20s where we kind of like insecure about our, our creativeness and be like, this ain't mixed. I ain't gonna give him no beats yet. I ain't ready yet. Like, mm-hmm. like that's what, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So 
you know, we tie all that into like the business questions, like the excuses got to stop when it come to us because uh, we all started from places where it wasn't the best and we got there, you know, with polish, you know, material. I can't wait to see how far he go. I see him a lot. Like he's always in a beat battle. Yeah, he's dope. always like trying to get his name out there some way, somehow, you know? Yeah, I want to help him. Like he got good parents behind him. Uh, his brother's a rapper uh, from Detroit and, um, He's just a good kid, bro. He just, it was no nonsense. He didn't smile too much. First thing he said, you want to, <laughs> yeah, I asked him, what's his goal? He said, I want to be better than my uncle C-Note. I want to be better than you. I'm going to be better than you because I'm fire. And I was like, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I ain't going to lie. I would not say that shit She <laughs> got it, man. I would have been like, I'm just trying to be great. With so there's 1,200 people on the, on the Twitch. He's but, saying it live. Yeah, like, I want to be better than you. No doubt, let's, let's cook. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I, I hope he does well, man. For real, for real. So speaking of 14-year-olds, let's take it back. So like, let's go from the beginning. What was life like in Philly? How did you get to Atlanta? Um, So I'll start back. I started, I got my first turntables at two years old. Uh, I got, I did my first party at five years old, was a wedding reception. I did my first rap five rap records at like nine years old and my first beats at 11 years old. So by the time I was 14, I was already going. Like I was already, it was like brushing my teeth. Like nobody can explain it. Like that's how I stayed happy. That's how my mom was like, yo, he's making beats. I was outside playing basketball. If not, I was making beats. So at 14, like in Philly, I really had no idea where I was going. I just know I was going to be a fire producer. Um, and where I wanted to be, uh, 17 years old, I was really trying to go to a college, but I wanted to go somewhere in, in Philly. So I was like Cheney was a black school. Uh, if I was, you know, picked up for basketball, I wanted to go to St. Joe's um, or Temple or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? LaSalle. I wasn't that good in basketball. So, <laughs> so I wound up uh, trying to figure it out. My mom was like, nah, I got to get you out of Philly. It's violent. We didn't come from the greatest neighborhoods. Uh, she did everything she could to get us in a neighborhood that was better than the last. So uh, the first thing she wanted to do was, you know, I didn't do good in school. And she was always saying, your grades are too bad. You're never going to make it to college. So um, I, one day I took the SAT and I got like a thousand on the SAT. And she was like, how you do that? And you don't do good <laughs> in school. I was like, I don't really like school like that. So she was like, you want to go to college? I was like, yeah, I want to go somewhere here. And she was like, you don't want to go with your cousin. So I had a cousin at Clark, Morehouse, and Spelman all at the same time. Me too. And um, <laughs> I was like, I'll go down there to visit. I visited. I love, it was something about Atlanta that I love, like mm-hmm. Clark, Atlanta, and just being around there. Morris Brown was around. So it was like four colleges. So I was like, fuck it, I'll go down there. I went down. And the minute I got down there, I was just DJing already. I was DJing out of the dorm for like people just hanging outside. I just built a name like that. You so know what trying did you choose? Uh, Clark, I went to Clark. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I went, went to, Clark. to Clark too. Yeah. Um, I, for real, for real, it, I don't think it was the way I was gonna get into Spelman tomorrow. So my grades were just too bad. You know what I'm saying? So Clark, okay. Clark uh, wrapped their arm around me. He was like, yeah, we'll give it a try. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I came down and just, you know, I was just rocking and I felt like Atlanta was like, I didn't have strategy like now, in this, the new ages and the new generation, they could look on the internet and see what's going on. I'm gonna go to Atlanta and hopefully bounce and bump into Lil Baby or bump into Gunna or bump into somebody. 
that's what the generation sees now. I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew my cousin was there. If I was going to get in a fight or anything happened, my cousin was there. <laughs> my other cousin was across the block and I had a girl cousin. So that's all the things I was thinking about. It's like family's there. I'm, not, I'm far away, but I'm with family and they're older than me. So they can tell me, you know, all the, the loopholes in Atlanta. And that's what I know. But when I got here, I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be here. You know what I mean? I'm supposed to it be felt right. This moment was like, you know, the first couple of years in college, I uh I went back home and it felt like I pressed pause, left, came back in a year and pressed play, and it was doing the same shit. Niggas was on the corner, niggas was outside, niggas going to jail. It was just the same thing over and over. And I was like, all right, I went home again, came back, it was the same shit. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try my hand and just stay down Atlanta. You know what I mean? And I, I wound up staying, and then that's when I started seeing all the successful people coming out of the HBCUs. You had Shaka Zulu. Um, I just on being on campus on Market Thursday and Friday, like I met 50 Cent, I met Nas. Uh, there was Audrey's bookstore back then. She brought any and every rapper there for in store, from Fat Joe to Mace to anybody. And it just gave me hope because I was like, man, I could possibly be walking down a promenade. And I'm give my beat people, CD yeah. to any of these guys or they manager or they homeboy, but it was closer than me in Philly, not touching nobody. Like, right. You know what I'm saying? So that's when I knew Atlanta was for me. That was the first part. The second part is, oh snap, this city is great. You know what I mean? It was laid back at the time. You know, it's a lot of violence that's going on now, but then it was just a player city. Like I came here, it was like everybody's helping each other. I didn't understand the language between up north and here. Like people was hanging outside the cars, throwing bows and stuff like that. And I um I was all I'm from up north, so we was like, man, they trying to ride on me. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but when people from Atlanta was telling me in the dorm, like, nah, 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 that's like a, a, a term of endearment. Like they they just showing you like we popping, like come pop with them. So I was yeah. like, oh, okay. So I started getting in that mix and then I started seeing how welcoming Atlanta was. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's when I I just fell in love with the city in general because where we came from, like even you being from Brooklyn, like we don't get that love. Like walking down the street, what's you up, man? What's yeah. up? Throw your hands up. And it doesn't mean that here. It's like, so warm here yeah. and welcoming here. Yeah. yeah, I'm walking in the store and people are like, hey, what's hey, up, how man? How can you? I help yeah. you? We don't get that. Philly, you said, you got to pick your shit out and take it to the register. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no conversation, for real. <laughs> so and I love my city so much, but this was just welcoming for me because, you know, we, we grew up poor, so to get the chance to be around people of like minds was like, we poor too, but we happy. It was different, you know what I mean? So I, I, I like that thought about it, you know, and how they embrace me in the city. Yeah, so tell us the story of how you first started making beats, like. Uh, I started making beats at nine, 10 years old. So um, I didn't know this was, a, you know, how you do something, then you find out you ain't the only one doing it. Yeah. So. I had a karaoke machine and the only way I could make beats because I have a be I didn't have a beat machine was to uh they got they had these things called pause tapes. So basically I would take like a James Brown or like uh Whitney Houston or something in there and I'd find a part on that tape uh to sample and I would record it on the other side onto another tape, stop it right where I wanted to stop looping. I remember he telling me about it. this. Right? Yeah, that shit TDs, right? Yeah, rewind it back to that same part, record it again, all the way till I got five minutes worth of that loop beat. Damn. Right? And then I would take that and put it on the left side of the deck and rap on it. And that's how I make my records. But I, that's how I made my beats for so long because I didn't have 
nothing to do. Then I upgraded to a Gemini sampler, which was just a mixing, uh, a DJ mixer with a little eight second sampler on it. So by that time I would sample it for eight seconds and then uh, play a break beat and bring it back and keep and then record that. And that was my beat for a little bit. Uh, so I went through those motions. Then I got to the Dr. Rhythm, which was, you know, a little machine that some people use now. Jay Dilla used it, a lot of people. And then I started making beats on that. I went to a four track, which is a four track uh, recorder and so on and so forth. till I got to the ASR 10 keyboard and then I had an ASR 10 box, I mean, ASR X box. And then I just started getting, when I started getting money, I just started buying. <laughs> and then you can say you like 2300 I don't know. I'm going. I'll tell you a story. When I was coming, I went to college. I came down here. I was still using the Gemini mixer to make beats and shit, right? So I had this kid named Detroit Red. He was one of my guys. And he was like, yo, I got a beat machine. I was like, a beat machine? Like he showed me the beat machine, like the NPC and shit. I'm like, oh man, when I go home, I'm gonna get me one of these. I'm gonna work a job and try to get and get a beat machine because they, what they doing is way crazier. You know what I'm saying? I went home. I didn't make enough money, so when I was going back to school, I asked my mom. I was like, look, I'm going back to school. I want to get this beat machine. And she was like, I ain't paying for no beat machine. I ain't got no money for no beat machine, right? <laughs> so she seen how involved I was into it, to make a long story short. And she was like, you know, I was still doing bad in college. Like, I, my grades was terrible. So uh, my pops passed when I was little. So she, she, she was like, yo, we can go to Sam Ash and I'll get you this beat machine, but you got to sign this letter saying that you're going to get great, uh, good grades on your dad's grave or in, in the name of your dad. I, however the letter was written, it was in that. Like, it was on my dad. Like, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, you know what? Hell yeah, I do better at school. I just need the beaver shit. <laughs> I signed a note. We went to Sam Ash. So when I went to Sam Ash, uh, and this is crazy because I'll never find out who this guy is, but I went to Sam Ash, and um, I was like, I went to NPC 2000, right? He was like, bro, those joints, you ain't never getting that joint. You know, and it was on sale in the store, but it was just sold out. I'm looking, he was like, yo, I'm gonna put you on, get this ASR keyboard. You know what I mean? I was like, nah, I want the NPC. <laughs> Fuck all the other shit, right? <laughs> he, like, he like, nah, I'm telling hey. you. He was like, the RZA use it. Uh, uh, who he said at the time? He said, the RZA used it. A whole bunch of people used it, right? He was like, I'm telling you, bro, you gonna love the machine. I wound up getting the keyboard. And I loved it, and I made all my classics on it. But traveling back and forth to Philly, it was a big keyboard, so I, they made a smaller version, which was the uh, the box. And I wound up uh, getting the box before I came back to college, and Detroit Red had the box. And he was like, oh, he had a black one, I had a red one. I couldn't find a black one. <laughs> I had to get a red one. And I started working on that, and it was incredible. And you know, my first 20, 25 placements was on the ASR. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I was thankful that I got a chance to get that and not the NPC because I really made, you know, I really made a stamp <laughs> with that machine. You know what I mean? No, nah, for real. So what do you use now? Uh, I use Ableton now. So I went, I had this thing with myself, and I might have said on it the last time, uh, that I never wanted to be in a place, because he, he made a good point about excuses. I hate excuses. So I always wanted to be that person that, uh, that was able to work on everything. If he brought his laptop and I ain't had nothing, what you using? Free Loops, I'm going to learn how to do that right now because I want to make the beat. 
I've been in sessions at Patchwork everywhere since 2005. If you had an MPC 4000, that's what we're using today. We had the Triton, that's what we're using today. So I learned all of them. And um, my first piece of computer equipment was Logic, you know, and I liked that program a lot. But I seen all the kids using Fruity Loops and I just stayed on Logic. And I think Ableton fit me well just being a DJ is really live. It's like making stuff live and I was doing that as a DJ already. So I just stayed in that mode, you know. FL was a little, uh, for the young folks, it was easy. It was complex for me. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I stayed on Ableton. I've been there ever since. I still mess with people that come, they have reason. Uh, Super Mario did Logic last week. I was messing with the Logic. Uh, but FL is great. All of them are great. I haven't gotten the Bitwig. I haven't gotten the Studio One yet. You said Bitwig? Yeah. I ain't heard of that one. Yeah, Bitwig is another one. I hadn't gotten to Studio One. I don't know if you heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Cubase was one. I didn't get into that. My uncle used Cubase. Now, he used some shit named Nintendo or some shit. Oh, uh, Nuendo. Nuendo. I fucked the name. Oh, yeah. look. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Nintendo 64. Yeah, nah, Nuendo. I, I, those I haven't jumped into, but uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm Ableton for the most part. Uh, I ain't gonna lie, bro. We had that shit easy. We can't. Them niggas couldn't crack no AOS or nothing, man. I don't think half of the producers would have made it like back in your day. Hell no, man. We recording the tape. You know what I'm saying? We ain't record the tape. Yeah, I had my first internship. I was, I was, um, I was cutting tapes like, like real reels, like. You know what I mean? You messed up. People would be mad as shit. So that's where, you know, I come from. I, I came from a long lineage of things that I had to do to get here. So, like, when I see the young kids, like, most older people can down them and be like, man, that work y'all doing ain't no work. Like, I embrace it because I was like, man, I had to do this for them to do it. You know what I'm saying? No, and I'm happy sure. with that, you know? We'll talk about, like, DJ Drama when he, he come into the play. Um... At 96, he came to school. I came to school in 97. Uh, when I Before I got here, I had a friend named Jabari that knew him. And he was like, yo, when you go to Atlanta, you got to get with DJ Drama. He like the hottest thing in Philly already. He was already working with The Roots and Bahamadia and all these people. And I was like, all right, cool. When I see him, I'm going to run into him and tell him I know you, da-da-da. I come to school. Uh, I'm on a promenade. He was out there selling mixtapes on the trash can. He had like a little yellow radio and he was just playing. He had like, did, at that time he was doing like dance hall tapes and like Neo I'm Soul. I'm not iconic. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so he uh, he was there. He'd pull up and just be on the corner on the green trash can selling the mixtapes. He had long dreads. And uh, <laughs> he used to work at Marco, uh, Marco's Pita and Audrey. They used to make uh, pitas for everybody. So, but he he knew everybody. His house was like where Talib and uh, Binkus Records was like a, a local group here. Just everybody would go to his crib to record. He was just a hub, right? So I finally seen him one day. I walked up to him. I was like, yo, what's up, Drum? I'm Cannon. Not, at that time, I was Brasco. Uh, I was like, yo, I'm Brasco. Like, bro, I, pr I produce. He's like, oh, yeah, where you from? I'm like, I'm from Philly. He's like, where? He's like, ah. I was like, yo, I want to give you some beats to listen to it. <laughs> He basically was like, all right, get out of here, young boy. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> he always say, I didn't say that. But I always say he was just like, kind of like, I'm DJ Drama, bro, get out. He took the beats anyway. A um, couple of days later, he had called me like, yo, I heard your beats. They crazy. I want you to come to my crib. 
Uh, so I was like, oh shit, he fuck with him. So uh, I slid to a to his crib. I made beats there, you know, and we just we formed a bond. He was living in a, a he was living in the crib by himself. But by the time I got to his crib, he was in there with Trendsetter, which was one of our other partners, and um, they had a duplex. And uh, I was in there, and then we'd just be vibing out, and all these artists would be coming through his crib, like everybody, bro. And I'd be like, oh shit, I'm in. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so uh, that's how we got our start in a relationship was basically me giving him beats on the promenade and him actually take, taking a listen, uh, putting an ear to the stuff. I was already working with local artists, but it was nothing. It was people in my my age group and not in his. You know what I mean? So it wasn't nobody big. It wasn't Black Thought. You know what I'm saying? And none of them. It was just local people I was working with. But I got a chance to meet. Some of the people he was walking around with, like Fat Beats at the time was in Atlanta. They had everybody coming through doing in stores. And I was just meeting people. And then he was just connecting with me. And, you know, at some point he was like my manager. But, mm. you know, he was just helping me move beats around. That's hard. So I have to ask this, like, because, you know, because I went to Clark. So I know, like, what Clark did for me. So, like, I got to know, like, I mean, you met drama there, like, on a promenade. So, like, what else did Clark do for you? Like, how you feel, like, going to Clark Atlanta, change your life and like what values did Clark Atlanta instill in you? Um, I'm gonna give you a couple answers. Family was one. Uh, I made a, I met a lot of friends that never left my life from Clark. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a fact. If I don't speak to them as much when I see them is it's an instant, yo, remember when we did this? Right. You know what I'm saying? Trip down memory lane. Yeah, and it, you know, Clark, man, I don't know if it's another school. I mean, they say Howard, they say it's no uh, school like Hampton. Clark that built a lot of superstars and a lot of relationships. But in my school, I just witnessed so many walks of life be winning. Like I'm, I'm years later, I go in the bank and I see the chief financial officer at Merrill Lynch from Clark my years. Like, bro, we went to school, we was in a dorm together. I'm like, oh, that's crazy. So, you that know what I'm saying? Um, and these were just, it, we didn't have to nurture relationships. We just had relationships coming out the dorm. You knew everybody. We knew every female. We knew every person. And the fact that I was popular just elevated a little bit, but I still met people. Like when me and Drum had the raid, I remember going to, when we went to Rice Street, um, when we were in a holding cell, we we got let out for uh, a little second. And I want in, in the main room. And one of the people was one of the main officers there allowed me to make a phone call. And it was like I went to school with I went to school with her. I used to call her Foxy Brown, and she appreciated wow. that. So she was like, "Remember, you used to call me Foxy. Come use the phone. You could just, chill. you know what I mean." <laughs> so it was like it was stuff like that that I was like, "Oh, you meet all kinds of walks of life when you're in when you're in uh, college." Like yeah. I, I know you experienced it, but I did. I met like I said, I met all the rappers. I met all the people that was doing gaming at the time. I met. Just so many people. It's stockbrokers, it's managers, it's radio personalities. Uh, it's people like uh, Eva Pickford, like, you know what I'm saying? That's yeah. a model that was down there. Like, I was seeing just so many people mm. win from Clark. And it was like, yo, it's crazy. And then Morehouse and Spellman, too. You know, we didn't touch that ground as much. Like, I knew a lot of people, but we just stayed in our hub because we was Clark. You know what I'm saying? So I met. I met so many people. Dame Lemon, he, uh, Damian Lemon, he's a, a comedian. He's He's been all over TV. I went to school with him. I see him all the time, you know? You got teachers, you know? You got successful people all over. It's like, like I said, it don't have to be a superstar. It's 
people that's doing construction, that's building malls that we knew at school, like, oh shit, you know what I'm saying? Right. So Clark is just that, it's that hub, man. It's just oh, it's special. Yeah, man. Lit Claire. Oh, y'all went, you went to college? Yeah, I went to college. Ah, so I'm, I'm the only dropout. <laughs> now, now we're together. I dropped out. All right, all right. So I ain't graduated. Right, we feeling like a lonely man. <laughs> no, 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 no. I dropped out. So I, um, I wind up going three years. So my last year, I wasn't even up to, I was a sophomore, but still, you oh, see what I'm saying? Okay, okay, you're So I was still okay. behind. Yeah. Like, I was like a sophomore, but a senior. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I wasn't even in school, but again, here goes the relationships. There were some relationships where people let me stay in their dorm room in uh, the Heritage Commons when I ain't had no place to stay, when I just act like I was Heritage. in school. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm on the floor. You know, 9-11, I was homeless. I was... I didn't tell my mom I wasn't in school. I didn't tell nobody. I was just on my man's floor. And I remember waking up nine o'clock in the morning, people walking over and tapping me like, yo, pack up. They bombing the world, man. You got to go home and do whatever you got to do. Everybody I'm looking outside, people got their luggage. They going everywhere. So I'm calling my mom. I had a Sprint uh, trio. I'm like, mom, she's like, yeah, son. So what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I'm going to be honest and truthful with you. I ain't been in school in a year. I just been down here thugging it. Blah, 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 da, da, da. And she was like, I'm not even mad. She was like, so what are you going to do? Are you going to come home? If you come home, you're going to have to drive or get in the train. Ain't no flying. Ain't blombing, airy, plane, blah, blah, blah. Tell me what you can do. I told her, yo, I'm going to just stay down here. If you're safe, I'm going to just stay here. She was like, I think that's a good idea. And I wind up staying here. I think at that time, the dorms was getting empty. Uh, Drum wound up taking me in and letting me stay on his couch. And uh, I stayed there for a little while until uh, I got a couple chips up. I found an apartment with $700 a month, and I wound up getting my own apartment. So that was uh, just, you know. Wow, that's a crazy backstory. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it should have had like I just gotta have a nigga stay on your couch. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's part of the game. Like I I noticed, like I tell the the kids now that's coming up, like when I was working with Currency and the Cool Kids in them like 2010 and 11, all them kids was couch surfers, bro. Like they would go from Detroit and go hang out with people in Houston and just live there for a month. Then they would go to uh, and 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 I'm a I'm a and I want Drake to know because I'm gonna include him into this too. Uh, I met Drake then, and he was in that same space. Like, when he says uh, 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 Houston, Atlanta, Vegas, that's 1,000% true with him. Like, he would go places and live there. Mm. Like, Holmes was living in Houston for months. Come to Atlanta, live there for months. Go to L.A., you know what I'm saying? He was just living in places, like living in Toronto. So... Like, when you went to those places, they knew who he was. It's like, oh, yeah, we know Drake. He be out here all the time. He actually live here. You know what I'm saying? So that was one of the things that I admired about his generation and them that was coming up. They all did the couch surf, surf, surfing thing. They just always was hanging in different spaces. Like, Currency would come out of Atlanta, chill with me for months, then go back home to New Orleans, go back to Houston and live for months. You know what I mean? And then go to, like, um, go to like L.A. and chill. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I observed about it. You know what I mean? When I when I met when I met you know Drake and he was in Atlanta, and he came to the studio. He already knew everybody. He just kept coming here. Same, same thing with Currency. Same thing with Cool Kids. It was just something people was doing. It was just couch surfing. I think you, like you're right. You almost gotta rock in different cities because even the fans know you. Yeah, like he really was out here in uh in Tennessee rocking for a little bit. Like we know we seen him. So like that's a good. 
you know, a good story like that uh, we're talking about is that couch surfing thing. Perfect. So since we're talking about like just networking, just moving around, like how you feel is different now in Atlanta? Like if I just moved to Atlanta today and I'm like, hey, Bridget, give me some advice. What would you say? Um, The advice in Atlanta is different now because uh, it's become a superstar city in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So like there's no, there's no real answer. You could be at Linux and um, eating at Cheesecake Factory and run into Icewear Vizzo. Or, you know, you can run into, uh, you know, different people, all walks of life. You can walk into a, a manager. Um, so, like, those are the things that happen overnight for some people. I, I've seen the most amazing things happen. And you hear these stories all the time. Like, you could date it back to JD when he found Crisscross. They was just some kids in the mall, and they looked like rappers. He walked up to them, and they became Crisscross. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So Atlanta's always had that feeling, but now it's just like, it's just a different, it's a different feel than what, what we had to go through coming up. Like you didn't see somebody, it was occasional. Now it's not occasional. It's like, yeah, I'm pulling up to the light and there's Young Thug or there's 21 or there's people that you probably didn't think. Like, you know what I'm saying? When we were in school, bro, Jay-Z was on campus. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, Nas was with 50 Cent on campus. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, give you a lot of opportunities. Like, when do you? When did you get? When did you get that opportunity? It was to the point when I went home and I was telling people all the people that I saw I might have shook hands with or might have signed my vinyls. And it's like, bro, you don't get out of here with that nonsense. You know what I mean? You ain't meet no Nas, bro. You tripping? I'm like that wasn't they Nas. Really that do? was somebody else. I'm like, ah. Right. <laughs> You that's know what I'm saying? So, so that's where um, the advice would have to come in. It was like, man, just move around because I'm like, bro, you, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know, you you was in a room full of people. Just now, you know, you just connecting with certain mm-hmm. motherfuckers. You know what I mean? It's just Atlanta, but people do move down here thinking that that's what it's gonna be. And it's not but, always you know like I mean? that. It might not be your time either. <laughs> but for the most part, like if you put in. You know, you pay your dues and move around a little bit. You're going to run into somebody. You know what I mean? You, you think you're going to write a book one day type shit? Uh-uh. Nah. If it, anything, it'll be a documentary. Well, whoever write a book, it's just Atlanta. That, that's why right. you just said that shit. That's your cover. It's just Atlanta. Yeah. That's hard. a good title, though. I ain't going to lie. That's hard. That's this hard. Hard. That's this hard. is what you said about bad. My bad. Yeah, nah, it's all good. It's all good. Okay, this is my last question about Clark. So, like, would you do, like, a, some sort of, like, event where you give back to those students? Absolutely. Uh, it's no way in hell. I can move forward without doing something with Clark Atlanta. Okay, I'm, I'm putting actually, it together. So, so you saw you had a sneak peek uh, when we went in the room over there, mm-hmm. and uh, they were asking me about doing some something with the Tomorrow app in Clark Atlanta, and that has to happen. Oh, that has be to dope. be there has to be some type of chapter or something to where we connect those dots. Okay, because we was once there. Like I'm not yeah. saying every school is based on like how. You know, it's a million engineers across the street at Georgia Tech, but it's a million creatives and Clark people that want to be though. in the business yeah. at Clark. You know what I'm saying? So I have to do it there. It's like, it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to go to places where where I wasn't in school and feel the, I know the culture yeah. of that school. You the know? culture, Even the, the, the area, like the, the, memories, whole, yeah. the whole, you know, AUC, it's just, we know the culture. We've been there. We never stop going there. We never. peek our heads in every once in a while, but right. it's just, we know it. Like, you know? We for know sure. It. No, I definitely want to be a part of that for sure. 
So now I got to ask you, how did you get named vice president of a and at Def Jam in 2013? Um, it's a funny story, and I hate to tell the story because it's a little sensitive spot. So um, at that time, I think that me and Drama had fell out because of some situations that ha happened. And um, I was just trying to find my way as a standalone and trying to figure it out. Um, I was making beats, but I just felt stagnant. Like I was getting placements. So I'm like, man, life is more than just placements. You know what I mean? Uh, I had built a long relationship with No ID, and uh, we was just always friends. Like uh, they used to have um, a restaurant here. I think it was Harold's Fried Chicken. It was on campus, and uh, it wound up burning down. But the owner had introduced me to No ID, and we just been friends. Uh, and then we had a mutual friend named Serge that I went to school with. And um and we we just built this relationship. So when Asher Roth came around um around 2010, I was working with Scooter and he was like, yo, I got this artist. I want you to develop. He's incredible. And um it's like cool. I was managing a studio on 14th Street, it was Eslon, and I had him come through there and work. And I I asked No ID to come in because he was just in Atlanta. You know, he's working with JD, but he was still trying to figure out some some new ways to move around too after all the history's made. So uh he came to the studio every day. We was working on Asher Roth and we just built a great relationship. Um he had an opportunity where, you know, he pretty much uh him and Kanye's always had a relationship. And Kanye asked him to come to Hawaii to uh come work with him and do some stuff. And he was like, Yeah, he he went to Hawaii. And, you know, something about um, we were in Atlanta working and just moving around and just doing something gave him some energy. And he always told me, like, yo, when we was moving around, you gave me some type of energy to kind of, like, you know, get back on my grind, get back on my shit. And uh, when he went to work with Kanye, they, they did all these things. He brought me back into the fold. But then they gave wound up giving him position at Def Jam, and he was building the staff. And he was like, yo, I know you ain't that type, but... I, I would love for you to come in and learn the system and, you know, and help me rock with some of these artists. And that's how I wound up getting a job because he brought me to Karen Kwok, which was like the, the head of the whole thing. And he vouched for me heavy and she wound up um, hiring me. And that's how I got the position. Damn, that's dope. So what lessons did you learn working at a major label like that? Um, I'm going to turn it from a lesson into all the valuable things I learned. Us coming up in these fields, producers, songwriters, we never learn all the points of being an exec. You know what I mean? I learned so much. I learned publishing, royalties to a T, mechanicals, uh, marketing plans, promotion, just how each department worked. You know, we lifted up the hood and seen all the nitrogen. It was like, oh, that's how y'all doing it. And I studied enough to be able to leave and um, and and come up with uh my own sense of what a record label is supposed to be. And uh, I learned I learned a lot from every person that was there. Uh, we had a unique situation where me and Sycamore teamed up and we did uh, we did work on Dirk's album. We did work on YG. And the way we, we were setting up, we were tagging with each other so not one person can fall for the bad work. So we will always work together. I think me and Steve-O was working on Jeezy. Um, me and No ID was working on Logic and him and Tab was working on Alicia Carr. Uh, we were all working on Big Sean. Uh, so it was just like a, 
it was like a family style of A&R grouping, how we did it. Like, you know, uh, you know, Sycamore went heavy on um, Jeremiah, but there was, it was parts where I came in and helped him with it, you know, just helping records uh, get together and, and do certain things. So it was just family style like that. And uh, once I, the one things I learned was just all the mechanisms that went along with running a record label. And I wanted to have that and leave and bring that into a situation where uh, we could win off of those same tactics or same same moves they were making. And that's how Generation Now was built because I, I changed my mind about who I wanted to be. I didn't want to be the best producer anymore. I wanted to find something unique. You know, I was always a, I got to find a rapper, rapper. Somebody's going to be better than the best rapper ever. And I changed my mindset into trying to find something unique. And um, actually, Caleb, my fiance, helped me with that. She was like, you're going to be this classic producer for the rest of your life until you find something unique. The first unique artist, everybody keeps saying that, was Uzi. The first unique artist that I actually was working with was Jimmy Wall Street, who's from Philly. And he was just a different type of rapper from Philly. He had bars, but he just had a different swag to him, the way he moved. Um, and there was something new about it. And I was like, oh, this is unique. It's a unique feel. Uh, he wound up getting killed. And uh, I still kept the unique uh, mindset. And that's what opened me up to like look, listening to somebody like Uzi. I would have never really uh, found or opened my eyes up to somebody like him if I didn't think of unique. I was just rapper, rapper orientated, classic, classic, classic. Right. You know, and those, you know, once once that happened, I was understanding the business like this, is how we gonna sign them. This is the deal we can do. This is, you know, <laughs> where we could take it, you know, and then we all join forces to make it work. But I just pretty much wanted to know that I had the handbook in my brain from the record label to know how they talk. I experienced how they did artists, good or bad, the the negotiations, what we needed to do and how, uh, what was the expectations in the books as far as finance or what we need to do for each quarter. I just learned so much that I brought it to the table that made our next company successful without, you know, a major, you know? Man, over here just giving gems and games. You know, it's a lot of gems. Nah, it's just basically the truth. It's really not. So for viewers who like watching but don't know, like what's the actual job description of an A&R? <sighs> Do you know what A&R stands for? Well, I'm going to be so real. Uh... It's the artist and repertoire. <laughs> okay. That's Repert good what? that you know. Artist and repertoire. Repertoire meaning everything that comes with it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's artists and repertoire. So basically, that's one thing. This is a good question coming off of the Def Jam question. Uh, one thing that I learned that it's more than just finding records and helping a, uh, a artist put an album together. You got paperwork. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You got uh, you got talking to managers. You're talking like more of the stuff I was doing had nothing to do with music. Like I was doing charts with samples, clearance, and finding mm -hmm. the the producer that did it, session how much forms. they wanted to charge, session forms, uh, all those things was something that I would be like, I don't want to do this. I just want to make beats and meet artists. That's what most people do. But they think A&R stops at, I made this artist. I found this artist. That's not A&R. Right. A&R is everything that comes along with it. It's more administration work because that's the important part. Right. You know what I mean? You could do all the songs you want, get to the doorstep and be like, we can't clear the sample. Well, how I do that? 
See what I'm saying? So yeah. that's all the things that come with being an A&R. And, and, you know, I salute everybody trying to be an A&R and thinking that's their easy way into the industry because they're finding talent and we're doing that. That's actually consulting in my eyes, just finding an artist and bringing somebody that doesn't make you an A&R. You know, I mean, A&R is being, being able to handle the business side as well because it's actually a position. You know what I mean? It's not creative. It's a position. So what do you think is the difference between like today's A&Rs and like A&Rs back in the day? And do you think real A&Rs still exist? Uh, I do. I don't know. I haven't met any new ones yet that are because the landscape has changed, the way they handle business. But when, when we were coming up, A&Rs did everything. They sat in Brooklyn and Marcy with the artists. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They traveled with them to the TV show, to the show. Uh, they did their paperwork. They handled everything between the manager and them in the label. They found records. They connected the dots. Uh, it's just a different, it was a different style of A&R that was happening. Uh, they talk about uh, some people like KP, uh, Kawan Prather. I don't know if y'all know him, but he's a pivotal person in the industry that signed a lot of artists, including uh, T.I. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I like most about him is that uh, he helped uh, he helped in the creation of Kendra Lamar. We gonna be all right. It wasn't like finding a beat or anything, but he just you know from what I heard was saying we gonna be all right, and then it just became something, and that was added to you know uh, what an A and R could do. You know what I mean? And I salute him for that because we don't get that chance to shine. A lot of us are looked at as suits when you come to A and R. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um even sometimes as 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 high as I built the company with my partners and much as I do, people some people still come in a way and be like, hey, he's the A and R for Jack. No, I'm not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If that's what you see me as, that's fine. I can't stop you from seeing that. But I'm actually not. You know what I'm saying? But you know, I love to see A and R's coming up in uh, being them and being a superstar A and R and all this, but be clear, it's more than just the music part. You know, it's a business. It's a business position that was made at a label, so it's not just about the music department. Of course, you're gonna get honed that because you're dealing with music and they love you for your ear. But it's a lot of stuff that comes with it. You know, so. Be mindful when you call yourself an A&R because you walk into the wrong circle. Somebody, so d tell me what a royalty is. And you're like, ah. I feel like so A&R's out here. Trash your head, man. Uh, yeah, tell man. me what publishing is. How much do I get for my, my part on the beat? Uh, Let me ask. Uh, you know what I'm saying? That's yeah. stuff you need to know off the bat. I need to be in confidence. When I'm talking to my A&R, like, yo, I gave you this beat and my publishing split is 50% before sample. Like, that a and needs to be like, okay, I got you. Let me go back to the company and see what I can do. Your advance is going to be 10000 or your points or royalties is, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? If you collab, so, you know what I mean? How, how does like A&Rs get paid? Like, do they a get a... A&Rs get paid a salary. A salary? Yeah. So like, yeah. what about like a producer A&R fan base? Because we know like, as far as producers getting placements, A&Rs are connect. So let's say I'm a producer and I reach out to you and be like, yo, you work with Uzi. I want to send Beast to Uzi with an A&R be like, oh, well, let me get a percentage of the record. How would that go? Sometimes it's, it's all how they do business. I mean, uh -huh. some people just don't have a middleman connected to, I mean, they're, not, they're the middleman connecting them to the artist, so they ask for a percentage. I don't necessarily feel that's wrong. I call that a broker. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's, what I, that's what I see it as. 
And some people need that because people don't have that feel. You know what I'm saying? They don't have a chance to actually get to that artist on their own. But if you're saying, yo, I got beats, I'm gonna give them the Uzi. I'm not charging you for anything. Mm-hmm. Now there's times where you can give me a beat and I want to change two things. It's like, hey, this snare is wrong. I know the snares that Uzi likes. Let me change the snare. That becomes a co-production. Now, wherever we're willing to work out, that's what we work out. But as an A&R, people do it, but I'm not the person that's going to take percentage because I got you somewhere you can get on your own. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if that's a fair analysis of what the business is, but I don't see it. I don't think it's wrong because people, some people don't want to meet the artist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So um, that's where it gets tricky because, you know, just because you're A&R don't mean you're entitled to getting part of the production or, you know, whatever, whatever. But, you know. So like, have you ever been in a situation where someone talks about the business at a wrong time? Yes. Like, can you talk Always. about that a little bit? Uh, there's been times where I'm trying to create a song for somebody mm-hmm. and I need the stems. And the first thing I'm in there asking for the stems because I'm working on it now and the artist is there and they're in a space and they're like, so what's the business like? Like before I send my stems over, <laughs> yeah. like how much I'm getting paid or, you know, we getting some paperwork, I'm getting a deck or something. It's like, bro, that's not the time. Mm-hmm. Like in this day and age, like maybe in back in the day, people can run off. Nobody's trying to get sued right now for a beat. Mm-hmm. They put out and nobody's getting their brand ruined by saying, yo, he stole my beat. Like, you know what I'm saying? No, I don't have time for it. You know what I mean? I don't think nobody's like trying to get sued. You making money and they taking it from you. Like, I'm not trying to be in that space. So like, that's a lot of times, especially with an older producer that I know, don't give up stems. You know what I mean? One of the things I stay by young, if I get, if you're working on a beat and I sent you some stuff and you're like, yo, can I get the stems? You're getting them immediately. Cause I know the playing field now. You know what I mean? But that's where that's where the business gets in the way sometimes because we talking about something that's premature. Like, we don't even know if we're using the song. We just working mm-hmm. on it to see if we can get it. Right. You talking about some damn money. It's the business. <laughs> it's like, I feel you, but like... Can it get placed first? Damn. Yeah, can, I get, can we get it to a space? And that's just what happens with me. I'm pretty sure it's a lot of other things that have happened. Mm-hmm. But just for me, the stems conversation or uh, before I write this song, how much I'm going to get? Or... We're using a sample and the sample's making a song and you like, bro, the sample gonna take all the money. Who gives a fuck? We doing it to make the record the best possible record. Whatever yeah. comes with it is what God gonna give us. Like we're not about to sit here and be like, let's take the sample out, man. This is gonna take all the money. I feel you, but nah. All right, so boom. So the reason why I asked that is because it was this clip, a clip we posted a while back. It was Southside Million Dollar Worth of Game. Uh-huh. And uh, he was asked, what did he ask him? He said, uh, if someone walks in the studio with split sheets, what are you going to do with Southside? You know how Southside is. Mm-hmm. And we posted the clip and everybody said, well, this is what's wrong with shit now, you know? And I just, I feel like it's a blurred line between producers who don't know who's on the outside world. They don't really know when to talk about the business. So like, when when does that happen? How does the process go? Southside's my guy, man. I didn't see that clip, but I, I would just go on record and say he absolutely right, man. Like uh-huh. he comes, I seen his grind, bro. He know about my S-line days. He knows how when him and, and Lex Luger and them used to come in the S-line and he used to work with Waka and stuff, and then just doing his own thing. And I watched they grind. And to grow to a certain space and you're you're in the studio and somebody bringing some split sheets and stuff, it's the wrong time, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we even talking about right now? Let's get the record. This is, first of all, for a young dude, I'm like, yo, that's Southside. Whatever, bro. You're going to make that shit on Future or whatever. We're going to figure it out. Like, what I'm talking about a split sheet for? 
Like, like yeah. I'm not even trying to hear that shit. Like, I'm not even trying to, I'm not even trying to ruin my relationship. But we gonna figure it out, you know what I mean? And, I, and I've never heard nobody speak bad about his business ethics or anything he was doing. So I'd just be like, man, if I was a young dude, I'd be like, hey, get that shit rocking. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm not even trying to hear that shit. The same thing with me or anybody else. Like, I'm not going in no fucking Metro booming session with some split sheets. What the Imagine. fuck you talking about? Let's figure that out later. <laughs> We're doing music. Like all of us come from a certain thing, and that certain thing is we love music. Yeah. So we we're working to get something. Like we all struggling to get on people's album. It's hard as shit to get on people's albums, especially, you know, some of these guys that got so many producers coming at them. Like let's just let's just open the door for optimism and get get something going before we even talk about it. And we figure it out later. And if we have a disagreement or something later, then we can't do business no more. Mm -hmm. But let's not do that from the rip. Like, you know. I think it's like that because, like, even though we say, yeah, we know it's labels that handle that business. It's a lot of bad business, too. And I guess the producer's really looking for the Facts. answer. How do I protect myself? You know what I'm saying? Um, That's one way to protect yourself. And again, I'm not saying that's wrong by saying you don't bring the split sheets in because there is people that will rip you off. But there's ways to get in touch with stuff now. Like, if there's a big enough artist, I've had some times where we didn't know artists were a part of a, a record. And we got a cease and desist sent to the label or something like that. And then we figured out how to make it work. That's always a way. You know what I mean? Uh, again, we're not giving up, giving up enough knowledge to the younger producers to know how to protect themselves. And one of the ways is, you know, just have a legal, uh, a legal team mm. that you can go to and, and work it out. I've heard some young people like, man, I can't pay for no lawyer. But do you know, like... Lawyers may work on a retainer or work on the money that they get from this certain situation. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's just how you, you got to know your business. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's a lot of things like that. People do things based on, you know, let's sign a letter and have a letter of direction. If it goes that far as the win in the case or I get this money, I'll pay you out the money I get. Like, it's things like that mm -hmm. that you can do to protect yourself. But, like, for the most part, in these spaces, like, don't ruin... Uh, don't ruin what could happen based on business. Uh, Quincy Jones said this, and he might be too old for a lot of people. He was like, yo, when money comes in the room, God leaves out. And that's where I get stuck. Like, man, I'm creating it here. I'm not creating this beat to make money. Now, if we having a competition, like, woo, this about to be a number one. That's cool. But that's not what we thinking about. Like, I'm making this beat, bro. I'm going to get 20 for this beat. I'm going to get 30 for this beat. Like, that's when God rolled out. You know what I'm saying? So that's where, you know, it's a tough thing where producers are trying, you know, protect themselves from getting their work stolen. But there's always ways to, especially now, and you go on Instagram and say one thing, and somebody trying, oh, take that down. I'm going to hook you up. I'm going to make sure you're good. Like, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You're going to get You feel me? Like, it, it, it could happen. You know, I'm, you know, I'm all for it, you know, for that. But I want to talk about this situation. It's a little, Situation in the producer community right now between two producers, uh, Gumboy and Palace. And, uh, okay. Have you heard of it? Uh-uh. All right, so boom. Basically, uh, his producer named Palace used to be an 808 Mafia, <clears throat> and he um, had this producer named Gumboy signed to him. Basically, the whole situation is he, Gumboy hasn't got credited for a lot of songs. Mm -hmm. Now, this just came out. It's still, you know, it's two different sides of every story and stuff 1, like that. 1,000%. But I know you can relate to stuff like that because you relate to the business side with labels and stuff. So, like, if I'm a producer and I'm signed to like, let's say he's my manager or whatever, mm -hmm. and he's getting these production credits for these 
these songs, but I'm not on there. And there's some songs I haven't got paid for and stuff like, what's the real reality of the situation? Because we even have bigger producers like TM88 said a couple years ago. You remember when he said he ain't get paid for XO uh, Toy Life a couple years ago? Yeah, that sounds weird because we try to pay everybody, but I don't know. It was like, uh, I'm just saying, I'll just name an example, but like even bigger producers, you know what I'm saying? It takes a long time. You know what I'm saying? Like it's different process for each song. So what's the reality of just the the real business behind this? The reality is, 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 as good as your legal team again. You know what I'm saying? Like if you got a legal team, like, um, the paperwork, first of all, let's, let's start with the paperwork. As hungry as we are, we have to move into these situations knowing the paperwork. Let's not just sign something because I'm going to get on, but then you look up and be like, oh, shit, he's taking 75% of my money. You know, those contracts have to be looked at, like, at first before you sign them. Second, there's always going to be a problem, even with the DSPs now, the digital service providers, meaning Apple, Spotify, Mm -hmm. uh, Tidal, all that. There's been times where uh, a guy that has signed to me, Lyle uh, LaDuff, he do a lot of great records. And we'll do a beat to, together. And when the credit comes out, it'll just say my name. I didn't entitle to be that because we worked on it together. But sometimes those things come out because people just don't think. Cannon did it. They don't think about all the people I listed for the beat. You know what I'm saying? Or how people I got in the paperwork, they're just doing all the wrong shit. So that makes me feel bad. But I also get it changed. I also get it corrected. And it's ha- it happens a lot because I'm initially the one placing the beat. I'm telling them all the business, but they still not hearing what the hell I'm saying when I say your TV on that joint loud joint. You know what I'm saying? Mm. They not hearing me. So it's always going to be those. But in the fairness, everybody going to get what they supposed to get. Um, but a lot of times our, uh, people do make beats with people and some people are just blinded by. Uh, I want to get on so bad that they forget their homeboy. You know what I mean? And that ain't cool. Like, we ain't never supposed to do business like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And hopefully in those situations, and, you know, uh, I forget their names, but hopefully they can resolve it in a point where things is even. I don't know the agreement. You know, they it can be so many agreements. Like you said, it's two sides of every story. The agreement might be you don't get credit. I don't, I don't know the situation. But um, hopefully it can get resolved. But we got to start looking into this paperwork, and we got to start working with people that see – uh, that take the beer, the business and the creative as seriously as we do. We are fair split. Um, I, what we don't we we don't um, we don't speak about as much is the, the newer kids that's doing the loops and they sending stuff to us, and we're getting the placement. We're doing the beat. Now, there's sometimes where that privilege as a superstar producer may have a bulk of the work. Like we may say seventy thirty. I'm I'm doing more of the work. So that's cool. That's like we're in the yard work and I lay down all the mulch and you just pick two flowers. Let me get the bulk of the money work. You know what I'm saying? Because I did it. And, you know, that should be fair with it. Next time you go and do all the mulch and I'll pick two flowers and you'll get the majority of the work. That's how it should be. You know what I mean? In my eyes. And you should get what is all fairness to somebody like a superstar producer. You know, I'm not, if I'm a young guy and and um and TM88 is the lead. Like I'm not gonna be like I want half of it. I want half your fee. I want half. Like bro, that's a superstar producer. You know what I mean? That's just what it is. Until I get up, and then we on an even playing field, and we're like, yo, 
Metro and TM did this together, 25-25. We both get our separate fees and we share in the royalty, whatever, whatever. That's how it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, you know, that's where, that's where I, you know, I'm at space where it's like just knowing who you're working with and knowing that who going to be fair or who just on some clout shit and just want to leave you out of all everything. What's like the expiration date for waiting to get paid? Like, Ain't none, bro. It's mm-hmm. been times I ain't get paid for two years. What? And it, yeah, because it's based on a lot of things. Like if I'm on an album and, um, it, well, I'm talking about like payments past year events. So, you know, I was on a couple albums where one of the other songs on the album didn't get signed off on. So nobody could get paid royalties because it wasn't paid out because there's some agreements that were in limbo. And some of them agreements went in limbo because we had two hard-headed motherfuckers like, I ain't signed that shit. I want this. I want that. And then I suffer because I ain't getting my royalty. Mm-hmm. So those happened in certain spots where I was working on a sample of the clearance or something was in limbo there that I didn't get paid. But it, there's times where you just, you know, the advance is supposed to take care of you, but you don't get it from the rip. Like you could get an advance and <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And six months, you know, uh, one of my guys is still trying to get paid from a record he did last Halloween. We still chasing the record. So, you know what I'm saying? Is this just like hip hop or this with every genre? Um, I think it's with every genre. It's uh-huh. just, it is what it is. You know, other genres use samples too. Mm-hmm. You know, a sample might hold up the whole album and nobody get no royalty. Is uh-huh. it is it every genre though? Cause like I hear like a lot of people say that like they're kind of, you know, done with hip hop because they like pop gets paid better or like they never they never have like problems getting paid on time. Well, if I had to say for the majority of pop and those other genres, not all of them, but most of them have a plan before they make an album. Mm, in hip hop, we're all magic. Yeah. It's whatever feels good. Ooh, like if we go on like that was a nice say right now. Nice it's, like it's, it's pure magic. So if you think about it, like Katy Perry, when she's going into an album, she has this idea in her mind that Dr. Luke and, Mag- and Max Martin are doing my album, the whole thing. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go pay them. Your executive producer, my album, I'm gonna do 12 songs, and that's that. She works with them for six months. They do an album, that's that. It's no extra producers all the time coming out of nowhere or somebody doing an extra song for the majority. And I saying everybody's like that, but majority and a lot of things outside of hip hop, people pick a producer, people pick Pharrell to come and do Ariana Grande's album. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you don't have a lot of those issues mm-hmm. where we're going back and forth. You know, uh, she might have 10 songs, Pharrell do eight and two might be done by Rodney Jerkins or Timberland, but it's still not, all of that, you know, country albums is one producer or the artist is producing itself too. Yeah. You know what I mean? So in hip hop, we'll have an album of 17 songs and it'd be 25 producers. Of course, there's going to be issues. Everybody got their own idea of how their business supposed to be done. Yeah. So that's just, you know, and, you know, we tear down hip hop because of all the stuff that we got going on. But like in true feeling, like, this is how we make magic. Like, Canon might not be able to give you 10 joints. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I might have to get T- TB. I might have to get uh, Sunny. I might have to get Metro. I might have to get Chi-Chi. It just is what it is. Or oh, me and Chi-Chi got to do a beat together. Or me and Bobby Critical got to work together. It's just hip-hop. Like, mm. we synergy. So we just always looking for the magic. And that's what happens. Nobody's like, yo, uh, 
I'm Jack Harlow. I want to get, uh, uh, Take Keith's going to do my whole album, pay him up front, and that's that. That rarely happens, yeah. you know, unless they came up together. Like, you know what I'm yeah. So, 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 the streaming and like iTunes and just the way we listen to music now, does it make the paperwork complicated than it did a couple years ago? Uh, no, it doesn't. It's still the same pay. It's still, I think it's easier. I've seen more completed contracts faster than I had when mm. we were making CDs. Now, the reason I bring it up, because I remember we, we did the signing interview here. He was saying, man, we need to go back to the mixtapes. And he was saying more on the artistic side, but I just want to know what it makes sense on the business side, too. But what do you think about that idea? It don't make sense on the business side, even though we love it. But think about, I've done 600 mixtapes or more <laughs> in my career. And I was probably did beats on all of them, and I didn't get paid for none of them. Did it add to my business card? Yes, but it would have been it would have been great to get paid for some of them junks. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I think that the where we're moving and how streaming is just so fast, and we can retain music and do things. I feel like it'd be a chance for artists to get a chance to get some money off of it. You know. Um, it's still for the love, but you know, it's streaming now. It's like if we can make a living and still enjoy what we love, can't beat that. You know what I mean? So I feel like we need to find out how to do that. That evolution of mixtapes is doing it on a paid platform, like doing the right things, getting certain records licensed, getting producer agreements around joints. That's that's the ultimate. You know what I mean? So we can get money. So what about like creative wise mixtapes or the, uh, the music we get now? As far as like the albums, what you prefer? Uh, creatives is a way for us to do things that we weren't going to do on our album. And that's important. You can, again, magic. Like it's, I want to work with everybody in the city of Atlanta on my, on my tape, but on my album, I just want to work with Tay Keith and, uh, DJ drama and, and somebody else. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like that's like an important, like, Hey, I'm making this music for a certain listener and it's just something for my block I wanted to do. Mixtape is for the block. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I remember when we was coming up with Jeezy, one of the, the, the sayings that stuck with me was that when he was coming up, he was just making music for his hood. You know what I mean? That was it. And it translated everywhere, but his whole mindset was, yo, it's for me and the homies. This is how we live. I'm making a motivation for them. And, but that motivation was across the whole country. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it's, it's, I feel that. Like, I feel that way with, with things. What's your favorite mixtape, bro? <laughs> they gonna be bad because I was just in Houston. You know, I was just talking about this. Trapper Die is one of them. Uh, Slim Thug mixtape, Gangsta Girls we did. Everybody be like, why you picked that? Hold I'm on, like, what's Strapper Die? Who that by? Huh? Strapper Die. Who is that by? Trapper Die. Trapper Die. Jeezy. Jeezy. My bad, Ryan. <laughs> Trapper. Yeah, I forgot. You thought you said Trapper Die. Oh, no, 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 no. Trapper Die Jeezy. Uh, dedication to Wayne. Okay, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. That's okay. two. Uh, Pharrell, In My Mind, prequel. That's three. Um, Doo-Wop, Live 95. That was way before your time. That's like one of the first mixtapes I heard. It was called Live 95. It was like he had all these freestyles on there. Fire DJ. He still does like radio stuff. Shout out to Doo-Wop. The Slim Thug tape, I always talk about um, because for some reason I enjoyed making it, but I just heard something like Houston's sound was so important. Like Houston's is part of the actual hip hop culture right now. Like, you know what I mean? It did something for us. It was like, 
like um, chopped and screwed was just, bro, it's a staple. You know what I'm saying? So like, you know, just hearing them and what they did for the game, like moving all through Houston, like it's not one non-important person down there that's a part of this game. All of them. And I hate naming people because I always forget everybody's name. But, you know, I love I love what everything in Houston is about. Um, Paul Wall, Bumby, and um and Pimp, uh, Slim Thug, uh, Zero, uh, uh, Trade of Truth. You know what I'm saying? And so many people I'm gonna forget, and I know they're gonna be mad, but I just love uh genres and subgenres in rap. Like I love, I love the three six mafia, Memphis, you know what I mean? <laughs> I got cheese and dope. Like, you know, like they definitely carry you know I mean? like the sample culture. Yeah, right like, you know? like all of that bleeds into like think about the 21 and Drake album that just came out. It's just elements of that in there. It just feel good. Like all these subgenres we have, even like in Florida, they got the subgenre back in the day, like the the trick daddy, you know, but in Atlanta got his own sound. So all those things is important. But that one tape that we did was like the first tape that we did that was like in an area that wasn't getting enough props. And I just felt like that tape just embodied that. It was like Slim Thug was just the guy. He was a he was a god down there. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Him, Paul Wall, they was the gods. Mike Jones, we just looked at them guys like. They it. I rock with them niggas. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, but so that's why I love that tape. Uh, amongst things like you know Wayne was just to me was just a phenomenal rapper. He's top five of my favorite rappers now. He's just dedication to was everything. Hey, well that shit gonna feel weird with like we in our thirty forties and, and they sampling the songs like Future. Like this shit gonna be weird to hear niggas sampling. Shit is gonna be weird. That shit's gonna be weird. You know what I mean? Because they sampling old Jeezy shit now. I'm like, damn, I was. 25 years old. <laughs> like, I wasn't no young dude. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, that's crazy. So let's go back. How did Generation Now come about? Like, what was that plan like? Uh, Generation Now was actually a mixtape that came out in 2002 and 3. Uh, so while Dron was making other mixtapes and doing Gangsta Girls, we wanted to uh, highlight artists that were actually not getting a chance because people was turning their heads at him. I don't know if y'all saw the Kanye uh, documentary. He went everybody, everywhere and told everybody he was a rapper. They didn't take it seriously. They just wanted his beats. Uh, he was on Generation Now first mixtape along with Joe Buttons, which was another guy that never got full props for his uh, lyrical talent. Uh, Jay Mills was one of them that wound up, you know, messing with Diddy towards the end. Corey Guns was another guy that had a crazy lineage of his dad making hit records. Uh, and uh, who was on the uh, uh, stat quo, which was signed to Eminem at the time. He's from Atlanta. And uh, he made a lot of noise. He made some great noise as a writer and as a um, as a, uh, a song genius. Uh, and we, 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 we made that series to actually break all the talent that was unheard. And it was like, this is the generation now. We could have kept going with a tip that already started going. We could have kept going with a 50 Cent that was already going or these guys. But there were some people that just didn't get that, that ear. And we used our platform to give peop- give these people an ear. And um, and that's where, you know, we, j- we just didn't hold on to it all the way down the line. Uh, then when, we fa- when I found Uzi and I brought it to the guys and told them, yo, we should do this thing again, like record label thing again. 
Uh, we had a hard time coming up with names. It was the point where we was like, man, just sign it. We can call it anything. Call it Canon. Call it Drown. We don't give a damn. And then we remembered that we had that series mm. and it meant so much. So it was like, oh, Generation Now, because we'd be bringing forth the new artists makes total sense. That's how the label, That's hard. you know, and you know, when Lee R. Cohen, he came to the studio one time to see Young Thug and we were working next door and he seen it on the door and he looked at it and was like, Generation Now, what a brilliant name. Yeah. And we was like, we got one. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, and he wasn't the all in, the only person that said that, but that was just like one pivotal moment to me and John remember like coming up, we saw Lee, you're a part of so much stuff. So to hear him say that was a brilliant name meant everything to us. You know? So y'all had Uzi before his big hit or yes. after, before? Yes. So Uzi didn't have anything. So what's that like, Joe? This is like just building. I'm not, I'm not talking about just being in the studio, but like just behind the scenes that you know, just the average listener wouldn't think about happening that happened. You know what I'm um, it's easy, actually. Nobody wanted, nobody want. I'm not saying wanted to help us, but we weren't helped. We were uh-huh. building our own. So we wanted to pass that on. Like, we feel like it's a lot of talent out here that we want to help see through. You know what I mean? And that's where it happened. We were once those people. That's why it was easy to make that transition into helping somebody like a Uzi or a Jack, you know? We were mm-hmm. just talking about uh, what's better to find an artist on social media or, you know, or on the internet or YouTube. None of our artists came from none of that. They all We all found them like diamonds in the rough. And I think that's our patented maneuver in the wrestling ring is that we just find people that didn't have those outlets as of yet and we made them superstars. Mm. So that's where, like, it, it feels good to do that because it's like, man, we actually made this... Icon, you know what I'm saying? You know, with no, with no faulty thoughts about it, we just all moved in a certain way to make that kid live the best life he could have on a rap side, on a personal side. That's important. So I want to like touch on you, like building artists, but first, like I want you to tell us how did you meet Uzi and how did you meet Jack Carlo? Uh, I met Uzi. So I was, I had a, I had a residency in Atlantic City. DJing at a, a club and I just happened to be I, I, what I always would do was since I didn't get a chance to see my mom as much living down here I always would fly into Philadelphia say what's up to her and then drive to 50 miles to Atlantic State, uh, Atlantic City um, this one particular time I went I was riding to Atlantic City and um, and uh, I had the radio I'm just checking out the flavor of the city and DJ Diamond Cuts which I had a long relationship with. Um, she was playing Uzi on the radio. I had no idea who he was. All I heard was her bringing it back and his voice did something to my to my ear and I was already in unique mode. So I was like, man, who is this kid? So I called the radio, I called Diamond Cuts like, yo, who is that? She was like, it's this kid I'm working with named Uzi. He fired. I was like, bro, I want to meet him. So she was like, all right, cool. She was like, uh, my guy Buzzworthy uh, manages them. We could set up something. Da, da, da. I was like, yeah, when I come back from Atlantic City, I want to meet him. So she sets it up. Uh, I go, uh, and and I want to make this clear because I've said this before and, and I got a lot of backlash because I'm old. So when I said I met Uzi in a dungeon, it was like, how could you call that a dungeon? But where I came up in, in, in the early 90s, our studios was called the dungeon, the basement. So I want to make that clear that 
not disrespecting nobody's studio. I'm just saying, mm. when I met him, called. I felt like I was in a dungeon. You know what I'm saying? Like even the yeah. dungeon here with Outkast, it wasn't an actual dungeon. The house was big as shit, but that's what they called it. So on some hip hop shit, I was like, yo, I went to, um, I went to the dungeon. I met him in in some studio in uh, Maniunk, which is a part of Philly. I went in there. It was dark. It was a basement, but this guy had put a lot of money into the studio that was rolling with diamond cuts. And I went in there. Uzi had his hood on his head. He was just like <laughs> just in there, you know what I mean? But we playing records. We going over him. You know, I'm, I'm asking him questions, and um, I think at the time he was working with an artist. Uh, he was working with a producer named Charlie Heat, and um, Charlie Heat was also putting his bin and assigning him on this side, which I really didn't know. I was just doing what I was doing. And I was like, look, I took a position at Def Jam. I would love to have you as an artist. I like what you're doing. It's just something about it that's unique to me. And I I would, you know, love to extend my hand for help or whatever. He's like, yeah, no doubt. Like say, like he was just keeping it real, just real tough. And um, I talked to, I kept talking to Diamond Cuts and Buzzworthy and, uh, we had a DJ crew named the Academy diamond cuts was a part of it. And we just kept the relationship. We kept talking about it, kept talking about it. One time I was like, yo, just bring the kid down to Atlanta. And, um, and they drove down in the Jeep. They came down, he came rock with us for a little bit. He went back home. He called me like one time. Uh, so I'm missing just a small part of the story. He came down, he worked for a little bit. They was about to head back to Philadelphia. He didn't have a cell phone. So I was like, yo, I want to be able to get in touch with this kid no matter what. Plus, he shouldn't be out here without no cell phone. Dude, yeah. he's dope. So I just went and got him a cell phone, gave it to him before they left, and he, and he left or whatever. Um, so when they went back to Philly, he wound up calling me like, he like, yo, you going to sign me or what, man? I already know what you do. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> but he just ran it down on me. And I was like, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, I'm hyping shit. I'm like, yeah. You know what I mean? He was like, plus, I'm... Kanye on the phone with me. I was just was talking to him and Kim Dardashian and called me and told me how dope I was. And I had went to Philly to see him again. And I pulled up on him on South Street in um, Philly. And he he had his cousin with him. His cousin, big tough dude. So he was like, you know what I mean? It was just, you know, it's how we interacted in Philly. And I remember we walking down the street, just chopping it up, figuring out what we was going to do, how we was going to make it happen. Uh, I went into this one store and this was the moment I knew. I walked in the store. It was like a sneaker store on South Street. We walk in, they were chilling, and nobody said, there go Cannon. Everybody's like, yo, that's the kid Uzi. And I'm like, yo, this got to be staged, bro. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This got to be staged hey, to like, you know, what, I'm, I don't know what's going on. And they was just like, Uzi, what's up? And they was talking to him. I'm like, oh, shit, he got like a little following. So I'm like, all right, cool. I go back to Atlanta. I sit drama and lake down. I'm like, yo, bro, we got to do this. Like, bro, I'm telling you, this is the one. Just believe me. Believe me with this. Just John was like, no doubt, bro. I ain't tripping. Like, let's do it. Like, run it. I play it for them. They they like it. So we wind up getting the deal. You know, John was a consultant at, at Atlantic for a little bit. And he wound up pushing the deal through through Atlantic. So that's where John came in. Like, you know, he's the face of it. So he was in Atlantic already telling me, hey, I got this kid. He fire. Let's sign him. And then we signed we signed the generation now first. And we uh, did the distribution through Atlantic. So the part, so the partnership that Janelle has with Atlantic came through drama. Yes, because okay. he was already working there. You know what I mean? He, I think he was doing Atlantic while I was doing Def Jam. So we was both like, kind of doing those positions to figure it out, and um, and that's and that's how it happened. But 
I want to go on record too before we get out of this question and say shout out to Diamond Cuts because we haven't had the best of relationship because of it, because I've done many interviews and haven't. I, I forget to mention some people's names or I don't because people get misconstrued, but I want to shout out to her and uh, let her know that she was the pivotal play in me getting next to Uzi and figuring out the next steps for the company. And she was pivotal. So hopefully she see this and she accept my olive branch to cut down the bullshit of me keeping her out of the situation and give her her props because we've talked many nights when she, she was DJing for Nicki Minaj and she had did some records for her and we, I tried to help her through a lot of stuff and I really, you know, I really love her for that. We could get some really good music if a lot of people were, you know, able to yeah. communicate like that. You yeah, know what I'm saying? No doubt, no doubt. And it's because me, I'm real silent. I don't really get a chance to go out and do things because I'm not really the social media person. I'm not the that person that's going to speak on any things. I try to move in positivity. And some stuff has came to me where it was like, bro, uh, she not fucking with you or this, 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 because it wasn't told correctly. I'm telling the real story and uh, with leaving a few things out, but I want her to know that she was a part of that. And I'm always going to shoot her props no matter what. That's I'm just dope. I'm just the type of person that's falling back. So you're never going to hear from me where everybody else is speaking. So now I'm speaking and this y'all exclusive and it's genuine, it's genuine love for me right there. We, we spent a lot of time together, even um, in the Miss Jade days, I was DJing for Miss Jade. That was an artist for Timberland. She was the the next runner up to be the DJ because I was leaving the road and um, I actually, you know, convinced Jade to take her on the road. So I love Diamond Cuts for that. That's dope. So how did you meet Jack Harlow? Uh, Jack Harlow, I met, uh, I actually met him later than everybody else. Drawn met him before me, you know what I mean? And um, what happened was he brought, like, yo, I got this kid, Jack Harlow. Same thing I did with Uzi. I want all us to sit and meet. So he goes into the, uh, he brings him to the office, and we met him in the office, and I felt it was something very unique about this kid. He came in with his own producer. He said in one of his raps, and I brought my own little Metro, uh, two for one. It was there. It was like his own Metro booming. Um, we sat there. We met with him. He was really, really articulate, and he was really, really, um, honest for where he wanted to go and where he wanted to be. Um, we left the meeting. He knew in his mind that he was going to be signed to DJ Drama. That was just what he always was saying. Like, I'm signing the drama. Let's figure it out, but I'm signing the drama. You know what I'm saying? So um, that's how I met him. Uh, I, I, I built a great relationship with him um, and mentorship. Um, uh, never really got to produce a lot for him because he already had a situation and I'm the person that's never going to get in the way of that. Mm -hmm. But I just add little sprinkles and things here and there to help the process move. But in mentorship, we have long, long, long engaging conversations about where music is going, the state of music, what sounds, what textures, how he's supposed to come on a record, all that stuff, man, it's important. And, and we had those conversations even, even over the pandemic. We've had hours of conversations. We probably probably uh, burnt a couple phone batteries talking so much about shit. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. um, that's how I met him. I met him. John brought him around. And um, and that was it. That was the synergy. It's a little topic, but, like, it should be funny because, like, you ever been, like, talking to someone, like a producer, and you bring up, like, an artist, and they be like, man, I know him, man. He asked me for beats. Four years ago, and I, I be trying not to laugh and be like, "You must have like, opened the DM, nigga." <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It's funny when I meet. It's funny you said that. I meet people, and they be like, "Bro, I've been DMing you. Well, I've been sending you beats forever. Like, 
Boy Wonders said he was sending me me and Drum beats on MySpace. You know what I mean? And we never Ooh, saw MySpace. Them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We never. That's a minute ago. Hey, hold on, hold on, bro. Hold on. What was your, what was your MySpace? You was in there, though, bro. My shit was Don King. I remember mine. You remember mine? It probably was something like Little Little Spoiled Brat. That was like all my usernames. Little Spoiled Brat. That's hard. Little Spoiled Brat. That's gonna uh, be my producer name. They they sleep on me, but uh, yeah. <laughs> they didn't know she she may be. I didn't know that, but I figured something was going on with the producers yeah, thing. Yeah. But you yeah, that's process, the, a lot of people. It's a little process. Bro, I miss a lot of <laughs> artists, bro. It's so many people that hit me in the DM with shit, and I'll go back and look, and I'm like, oh shit. Dude, actually sent me some music and this nigga's a superstar. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that post, it was like, oh, they, they sent a, they screenshot like a DM of NBA Youngboy wanting to sign a like Soldier Boy back before. I seen that. It was like 2014, mm. 15. It'd be like, <laughs> yeah, it starts, it starts like that. You know mm. what I mean? But we're not going, we're, as you get up the ladder, you're going to miss some stuff, bro. Yeah. I don't think mm. nobody's supposed to have everything. And everything mm. happens for you a reason. You know? I'm pretty sure we could have signed everybody. You know, but hey, man. So before I get to this next question, I wait, just want to like. Before you even get into that, I just got to ask this one question. Right. Okay. What has been some of your favorite moments building Generation Now as a label? Uh, the favorite moments uh, came within recent and came from in the beginning. My first, uh, my biggest thing is I, I almost shed a thug tear when um, Love is Rage 2 came out because. People were saying that we weren't going to be able to sell a certain amount of records or wasn't going to go number one, and it did. And it was just, honestly, a lot of hard work. I sacrificed a lot of stuff on the music side to get there, and um, and people, it went unnoticed, and I'm not going to be the spoiled breath <laughs> to tell people every little thing that went there. Like, I lost a lot of things in my life to build that album, <clears throat> and it just felt, it felt incredible to get there and, and to see him go to some of the early festivals before they became what they became and have 60,000 people out there at Coachella really rocking with this music and watching him captivate the crowd and not be a shy person or a shy rapper and just taking it over was one of the most fulfilling feelings that I could ever have. The second is recently, um, you know, Jack's, unfortunately Jack's career was built during the pandemic and during the pandemic, I would not leave because I wasn't trying to get sick. I wasn't trying to be around nobody. I just was in a certain space where I was like, I'm not coming outside. So I missed all his first tours. I missed a lot of performances. I was there for the building of the music, but I didn't get the actual feeling. So the best feeling was to see first class being performed at the VMAs. And I was in a crowd and didn't know him, didn't tell him I was coming. And the fact that I came, he was just so excited. And just the fact that me seeing him perform up there with with um, Fergie just felt incredible, bro. That's you know, it just felt, in, it felt incredible to see that. So those are my major um, feelings, you know, and just signing all these artists is just seeing where they're about to be is the most exciting thing ever. Because you be, we're here right now and I and people coming in like, yeah, they they do it to me now, and I'm just gonna be in complete transparency. They be like, "Why Sonny won't be a producer? Why he just, you know, why he won't be an artist? I can't wait till we drop his album, and Everybody be like, "Oh shit!" I ain't count, man. That. I mean, we did it. I'm that nigga for... was playing some in there, bro. Bro, I was dude, like, like, um... they got him fucked up. Man, I can't <laughs> wait. I can't wait, bro. Bro, this nigga was playing so. I can't wait, man, bro. I, yeah, I ain't gonna speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can't. I can't wait. Saying? I can't wait. Those are the moments I I stay shut. I keep my mouth mm -hmm. shut for, 
and waited to develop it into what it's developed. And then when it when it's really developed, it's like, oh, I didn't see that one coming. I know you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or, you know, yeah, yeah. same thing with Seti, Seti Hendrix and, you know, Carvina and Killer. Like, Killer's been killing TikTok and, 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 and um, YouTube and all these things for so long. I can't wait for her music to connect on another level where they be like, oh, that's what they saw on her. You know what I mean? So those are the feelings that I love, you know? Hold on, so Seti, you said, who's the other artist? Seti, Kaluminati, Sonny, and we got an a R&B artist named Carvina, which is amazing. For sure. Yeah, I'm going to make sure I hop on the wave for yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure, before yeah, everybody yeah, else comes. Yeah, 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 yeah. She, we haven't let any music out, but she's incredible, bro. She's incredible. Uh, that's hard. All right, so the backtrack, because I know, I feel like we jumped from, I want to get the story from, you on your couch, uh, drama couch, all the way to 2013. Like we got to get all the major placements in that. So just yeah. backtrack a little bit <laughs> and cover that real quick. All right. So uh, me being on drama's couch, it probably lasted like two months, maybe, maybe uh -huh. less than that. Um, I used to pack up his CDs because I wasn't really going hard on the mixtapes that just yet. And I wanted to have no money and I had no car to move around. So I think I packed up and worked for him so much that he wanted to give me his, uh, his Mish uh, Mitsubishi truck. And I had that joint until it blew up, you know what I'm saying? But uh, uh, just being part of the mixtapes, producing, having Tip coming to his crib, having David Banner come to his crib, having Jeezy come to his crib, all these people uh, were coming to there before I made my own money and I made the studio house, which was in the apartment. And then Drum would come there and record. We would do Shade 45 at the house. I had everybody from Raekwon to Ness. You know, I don't know if people remember him from making it a band from those type of, excuse me, those type of cal uh, calibers all the way to, you know, any and everybody. Like Remy Ma been in my house before all that stuff, like before she blew up, like, uh, I was apartment, I keep saying house, but anybody and everybody was recording in, in between the two houses and we built a synergy. Um, in 2007, when we had the raid, um, it was a it was a pivotal point where we didn't know who to trust, so we started pointing fingers at each other, thinking each other did something wrong to each other. So we fell out for about three years, from two thousand eight, uh, for about two thousand the end of two thousand seven to about two thousand twelve, mm. maybe. Um, we would always see each other, but we would just wouldn't speak. But it wasn't beef; it was just always the issue of um not knowing what actually happened. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Uh, but we moved forward in 2012. It's the funniest thing. We went to sit down and try to reconcile everything. We sat down at um, uh, uh, Jersey Mike's, had a sandwich. And by the time we got our sandwiches and sat down, uh, <laughs> we was like, so what are we talking about? We had nothing to talk about. We really <laughs> had no issue with each other. So we was just like, oh man, we left there. And then he's like, yo, I want to show you something. So I'm like, all right, cool. He brings me down to the first building on Main Streets, and he's like, bro, look what I'm building. And he's building this crazy spot. He only has the radio room, a lounge, and a studio at the time. I'm like, bro, you know I know what I'm doing. I can do this. We can move this from here. We can do 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 And then we started connecting, and then we moved right back into a good synergy. You know what I mean? So that's what it was about. And, you know, in between there, all the placements ranged from Jeezy and Jay-Z all the way to M Macy Gray to remixes for Maroon 5, to Fabulous, to Pusha T, to Kanye. Uh, oh, shit, Tip. Uh, 
so many. Where so you keep the plaques at though? Uh, I got a lot of plaques at the house that okay. people have never yeah. seen, but I got a lot of plaques here too. They're everywhere, but it's just, you know, it's it's a it's a shared thing here. It's like everybody's mm-hmm. awards are shared here. Like we got Leslie Brathwaite, which is part of our team, which is award winning mixer. He got seventeen Grammys. You know, I never had one. Drum got one. I got nominated seven times and still didn't win. I'm on some Spike Lee. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Before he won shit, but John finally got his with Tyler. So like it's a shared uh award situation around here. But my crib, I got plaques. But again, I don't plaques don't define who I am and what I've done to me. It's just showing me uh, the actual award that came with that that current time that time. And it's like if I hang them or if I don't hang them, I already know in my brain what I did. You know what I mean? So I want to just continue to do it. Plaques are good and all, but we still got a long we got a long way to go with this stuff. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, you know, I got them, but it's like, you know, it's just like whatever. <laughs> all right, so let me ask you this. Now that we caught up with it, what's the best feeling like when you had that major hit that you produced or when you had that major hit with like Uzi or Jack Harlow? Uh, so Jeezy and Jay-Z was the first major hit I had and it felt incredible because I grew up listening to Jay-Z uh-huh. and for some period of time, you know, as a creative, you go through this stuff back and forth like, am I really that good? Am I really supposed to be here? Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to be doing? For real, for real. And when I heard, like even Jay- Jeezy making that record, I still felt like, oh, okay, it's a rapper, he's making it, he's pretty popular. But somebody that had so much credit for so many years do uh my record my first record out was like oh i'm supposed to be here ain't no way in hell he's gonna do this record and i'm not going to fucking take advantage of this shit i'm mm-hmm. about to pop i'm about to do everything i can to stay in this position and that was the one all the way up until that time i didn't know i was supposed to be here i just thought hey i'm gonna make beats i might make some mixtapes i might uh become you know I might work a corporate job later. I don't know what's gonna happen. I never wanted to, but I didn't know. I was always gonna be here. I just did it. I did music because I loved it. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So I didn't really have no thought process of what I was supposed to be. So once I crossed the threshold, I was like, oh, I wanna be the best producer ever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Best producer DJ ever. That's all I was thinking. So, um, you know, in between that, I just had bad placements, bro. Just, just kept people were calling. You know, th- when I did Wayne, um, I tell everybody when I did Wayne Cannon beat, um, every artist, every artist that I ever wanted to work with rapped on that beat. So I felt like, oh, I checked, I had to check off a lot of people mm-hmm. that I wanted to work with. Like, even with like, go crazy. Like I had everybody rapping on two beats for seven years. But I was talking to somebody about this show, like, bro, that's the best feeling when it's a hard ass song, and then everybody want to remix that shit. You everybody remixed "Go Crazy," bro. Fat Joe, all these people I grew up listening to remixed the record. So I was like, "Oh shit!" Mary J. Blige was on that joint. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> it's just a lot of stuff going on. Cannon beat, especially. I probably had over five hundred thousand rappers on that beat, maybe young and top of the line. Mm-hmm. So those things, those things right there, was like, "Oh yeah, I'm definitely supposed to be here." <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I have. Like I said, there's placements everywhere. I did movie things with movies, um, all the way up into Uzi. But the 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 best feeling again, I have to say that it was that one record, and then the first record I did with Uzi, which was uh, we did a bunch of records, but Money Longer was the first thing we put on SoundCloud, 
they had like a hundred thousand listens and like 30 to 40 seconds and i was like holy shit we did something here uzi uzi what 2015 i was like in a chokehold yeah had me in the choke i was crying bro i'm like i'm looking at this dude in the room i'm the one like damn we did it he like man we was going to do it you tripping I'm sitting there like, where are you getting this confidence from? That's how I knew he was going to be that dude. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Me, I was like, wow, we fucking did it. Mm. That shit had 100,000 plays in least less than a minute, bro. It was like, what is going on? It was like everybody was waiting for that record, and then it was just... <laughs> we watching it. I kept it getting refreshed, refreshed. That shit was 60,000, 70,000, 90,000. <laughs> By the morrow, it was like 500,000, and it just kept going. I'm like, oh, shit. We on some shit right now. You know what I mean? So that was very important. Those two records right there just kind of helped solidify that uh, I was supposed to be here. But those, those crazy records right there. And Uzi carried me on the back of the butt, but I figured with them um, AirPods, the gummies, the one, like, them shits were a lot of hell. Oh, the color ones, <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, no. Uzi carried, man. Uzi carried. Blast money got longer, for real. Yeah, those two records, those, those were important. So you was talking earlier about uh what was it love is rage too right yep so like I wanted to ask like what are the steps when it comes to building an artist because you said you went through a lot of stuff just personally and I don't even saying getting the details even talk about this situation but just talk about like okay like what's the rollout plan like or you know just uh the rollout plan is very important we just got finished talking about that earlier um rollout for every like you look at you know I guess because we're in a current state and I don't know when this is airing but Twenty One Savage and Drake's uh. Uh, rollout for this was amazing. They did the Howard Stern, everything. They did the Vogue magazine. Everything was fake, but that shit was fire. Like that allowed us to get ready for the album that they put out that everybody loves right now. Like you know what I'm saying? And I think that our rollout with Uzi, it came at a period where we was just dropping without people knowing, and it just hit like, oh shit, what? Why did this come out? I Why do I know about this? I don't have a pre-save link. I don't do And that was our marketing. It was like, surprise, motherfuckers, we we out. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, uh, and making the album was just just have everything in there that we didn't do in the, the previous three mixtapes. You know what I mean? And it was like, bro, you have to have that record that everybody will be like this in a stadium doing in, instead of this in mosh pitting. And I felt like that was the joint with Nicki Minaj. Like, it struck a nerve for certain people. Some people heard that John was like, was like, whoa, that just hurt. You know what I'm saying? That was I a shut hurt a piece. for that one yeah, sometimes. Yeah, that's a thug tear right there. Um, and then his dear mama at the end was just like, you know, talking about his mama. We don't have those. We took elements of stuff that came out back in the day where the last track on the album was always either a religious record, an uplifting record, or something about their mom. And that's something that the young kids wasn't doing. We was just turning up and didn't have anything to, to do with family. So it was like, he loved his mom, he loved his grandma a lot. So he wanted to be able to have a record where he touched on that. And those is important because it shows depth. You know what I'm saying? So those are the pieces that we left. We had we had one turn up record that was in there um, in the middle. We had Sauce It Up was just, you know, it's a commercial bounce. Um, the intro just let people have it. We had 444-222, which was a record that you hear at all the basketball games. Breathe in, breathe in, breathe out, shake the ass. Like it was, we, we was it, we was putting everything into this album that everybody can enjoy. And sometimes when we do these mixtapes and things, again, we're doing things for our block. We're doing things for a certain people. And 
we wanted to captivate people because he was flying all over the world and people was recognizing him. And we wanted people to notice stuff, you know what I mean? And one thing people don't know is like, when you go overseas, people speak different languages and all they hear is melody. They don't know the words cause they don't speak English. So we was like, hey, we embodying records with these type of sounds that can be heard all over the world without you understanding English. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you go to Japan, it's gonna be like, sauce it up, do too much. All you're hearing is cause they don't know English, but it's jamming to them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's just, it's just, you, it's one thing you'll learn all, all across the world. Like I'm in different places and I've DJ places and I'm in these countries and they like, they only hear the melody and it got them in the heart. They don't know the words, you know what I'm saying? So uh, we did that with the album. Like we did that. We made sure we covered all the angles. He, he was always friends with, with Abel. The weekend we was like, yo, you got to get a record with him. Um, um, Wonder Girl was since a youngin always been around us. We always had to we we brought her in for every project. So what would Lovers Rage Two be without Wonder Girl on there? Uh, Pierre was on there. He was coming around, um, and he had he just always had some fire ass drums. And I was like, bro, it's fire. You gotta have him on the album. Mm-hmm. Metro was part of the family. He's always been around. You know what I'm saying? Uh, C Note, which made twenty. Uh, 20 minutes. Uh, he's always been around. He's all people that's part of the project. We ain't going to get to the album and like, hey, we're not going to use that person that was on the first album and not. We used all the elements. Even if it wasn't like them producing, they were around for the making of the added energy to that album. So that's where uh, we got to get into as a as a culture is uh, saluting the people that be, are part of the album. Like if you're in there while we're making Steady's album, y'all was there for days and days out. Like you're part of the energy there. Like you didn't have to say a word. You could have been eating popcorn the whole time, but that popcorn helped us get through to the hit record. You're part of the making of the album. So all that stuff is in there. And, and Love is Rage was embodying everything that mm-hmm. was around at the time. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you said that because a lot of produce, well, a lot of artists they typically like don't use the same people that were on like those projects that made them like, I don't really want to get into the specifics because I don't want no shade. Well, well you don't, like, it's not no shade, but people don't know what to do. As an artist, if you're looking for an elevated sound and that person you came up with is not giving you the elevated sound, they don't figure out how to get the elevated sound from that person. So like damn. if we're working in the first couple albums and it's like, hey, uh, this person isn't making where I'm going. I'm there to be like, yo, that is fast, though. homeboy, let's get over here and make it together because I know right. where he's going. Let's make it together and then you get a piece of the moment. We don't know how to do that because we're rushing to get a project out. We're just, so we're going for what the newest sound is and where the progression is instead of saying, I can add you to this. Like, let me add, you know, uh, Sean that was for the, from the first album with Wheezy Beats. Now I got a Wheezy and Sean album and if, I mean, uh, record and it sounds good. Like, we don't, stop as artists and say, yo, I can make all this stuff work. I can bring who came with me and where I'm going and hopefully all the sound can coexist and make it better. So that's where I think that um, we don't do enough and we need to start. Hopefully me saying that will help somebody be like, oh yeah. I hope so. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Cause that was a big gem. Like that was a real big that's gem. That's why I felt with this interview cause I feel like you're giving a different perspective then. Right. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, I mean, I'm old as hell so I got a different perspective. <laughs> <anyway>. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just play. I'll just play. 
So you fun. had mentioned earlier about the 21 Savage and Drake, and then I know you were saying he was excited about the plays, Love is Rage was getting... I remember DJ Academics was posting. So I think Drake is on the verge of doing like, what, like 370, 390K or yep. so yep. week, and he posted... I know DJ Academics posted like last week or... To, I don't know this. I don't know the exact days, but basically Taylor Swift did a million in yep. a week. Yep. Like I don't know. I, I just want to talk about this shit. Like, do you think hip hop is leading the music like I, in this world? I still think it's the number one culture in the world. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? They don't tell us a lot of things about our culture that we can help sell. I mean, streams just not doing it right now for everything. We gotta we gotta look back into where we once made all the money too. Like we could do streams. We can't just let it be all about streams. You got to lead into albums like like uh, Taylor Swift did four different type of albums, but had the same thing on there. And when you buy all four of them, it made a clock. You know what I mean? So people would buy all four of them at a discount of $5. The vinyls wasn't $20. So that helped her sales. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Tyler, the creator, before, you know, a couple albums back when he went number one, people was like, oh, how is he doing this? Da, da, da. He sold albums. You know what I'm saying? Along with what was going on. So it's all about how you're pushing it, you know. Uh, Instagram j- alone just not going to do it. Is it a marketing tool or a driver? Yes. But TikTok ain't going to resolve your issue for sales. And I also think sales don't dictate a great album. Like, you know what I mean? Just because it don't sell. Like, if the Drake and 21 album didn't do anything, like, people are enjoying the album. Let's enjoy the album and push the culture. You know what I mean? We got into a space where numbers dictate to to people that, you know, there wasn't a good album. It's not. If it's good, it's good. You know what I'm saying? Um, but on their side, it's like, you know, on the pop side, numbers is everything because that's where uh, you get into spaces where they get a higher space of TV time or, you know, whatever comes with it, you know. But in rap, we always, you know, we tearing down our our uh, our fellow um, rappers and producers by numbers. Like, you know, I wouldn't necessarily um, hate nobody's album. Now, there's times where me personally, where I feel like I don't like certain albums or I, I felt like that, but I'm in a terrible position because my brain doesn't allow me to uh, think in a consumer space sometimes. It only allows me to think that I possibly can make that better, you know? Uh, no idea had told me the story about um, him in the Apple store and he was talking to a girl and I think they were talking one particular album and it, she asked him if he liked it and he was like, oh, it's not my taste, it's not for me. And one thing that made him change his mind was she was a consumer and she was like, well, you're coming from a place where you can actually make the album better. I don't do music, I'm just listening. So that's why I love the album so much. And it changed my thought process when he told me because I was like, damn, you know what I'm saying? She might not she have the point. ability to make that album better so she's enjoying it with all her heart. And you know, who am I saying, well, I could have made that beat better or I could have made that transition better telling me that that album's bad and the influence I have, people looking at me like, damn, you think it's whack, man. What the fuck do I got to look for? You know what I'm saying? So I got in that, I started trying to get out that space of uh, not thinking as a consumer. Mm -hmm. I create, so I'm always looking to make everything better. (laughs) You know, that's what we do. I'm I'm sure you do. When you walk in rooms, you hear a beat you might not like, it's like, bro, I could do it better. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so that's how we judge in our music now. And that's where the numbers come into play. It's like, he ain't do the numbers that little baby did, or he ain't do the numbers that so-and-so did. Does that make it a bad album? No. It just says that maybe little baby has more fans than mm-hmm. that guy, but he still got a nice album. 
Right. Let's not like the, the numbers has always been a machismo. Like we could, you know, stick our chest out and be like, yeah, I did this, <laughs> you know, and it makes it look good. But it also some albums that did numbers that were terrible albums. You know what I mean? But, you know, salute to everybody that's doing it. That's that's a great number for them to do, because uh, a lot of people don't expect them to uh, make the album they did. You know, they two they two talented dudes, man. So I'm glad they was able to get that off and have a sound like, you know, I'm hearing a lot of people just talk about uh, just us, the the music getting stagnant and to be able to offer new sounds is just always my vibe. Like, you know what I'm saying? Let's push the culture forward. But if we don't have it, guess where we're going to be? We ain't going to be doing podcasts. We ain't going to be producing. We're going to be working somewhere that we don't want to work. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So... Anybody, anytime we get a chance, let's just salute them if they're doing the right thing or it sounds remotely good. Let's push. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this: like back to like just going to like the label situation. What does it take for like the artist to get the label attention? Or like, what do you look for in the artist? Uh, we always talk about this, but one thing for me is conviction, and the, the conviction is basically the art knowing that artist is doing well i heard a story about when they went to go sign dmx his his jaw was wired but he didn't let that stop him from rapping he came outside and freestyled for the executives and as he was rapping you just hear stories about the wires popping in his jaw he was literally breaking his jaw to to get his vocals out and show you that he was that ill and that's the type of stuff I look for, the people that really, really believe in themselves and really know where they're going. You know what I mean? Uh, that's important, you know, to have that type of conviction with you as an artist. Mm. You know? and I, I love that. That's the only thing I stand for. Like, you know, second to that, if we're talking skill, I listen to vocals first. Uh, Dron may hear something different. He may, like, their bop a little different. Me, I'm listening for the uniqueness in the voice. Because we got the uniqueness in the voice, we automatically having a different sound. You know, everybody we love, we don't know that we love people's music, but we don't know that their voice captured us first. Like you know, you hear Future's voice, you know that that motherfucker about to be hot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. You hear, you hear Bro, Future, the, Future and Uzi the only two niggas that a voice could crack on the beat, and that shit was hard. Like you would thought they did that Facts. shit on purpose. And, you know and when you see them dudes in person, like you gonna meet Future, he gonna sound like the record if he having a regular convo <laughs> with you. Yeah, he gonna sound like the record, and I like I like that about things when people are able to sound like the records. Like you mm. know what I'm saying? Like all those things is unique. All the people that we enjoying now, uh, have a lot of it is based on their vocals and what it do to us first. Like what mm. we're hearing first of all. You know what I mean? I want to get your perspective on this. Like I feel like when it comes down to artists and some shit go wrong, the label is the first person to get the ball. Oh, fuck my label. My label did Always. this shit. I want, your perspective. <laughs> I want your perspective on it, though. Always. I mean, I'm 50-50. Sometimes the label is the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes the artist needs to, you know, get the pressure off their back. You know what I mean? Um, but, you know, it's just all part of the business. You know, you can never rely on one thing to help your career go to the, to the furthest extent that you want it to go on. Um, I don't think blaming it's going to solve anything. Um, uh, some people are 100%, 1,000% right of them doing some people getting done dirty or in a bad space. But again, I'm not in a business, but it happens. You know what I mean? But march on as, 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 as best as you can 
to get there. Mm. It happens though. Like like I said, like some artists do other artists dirty. Some labels do labels dirty. Some labels do artists dirty. Some artists do labels dirty. So it's just the game, you know. It's it's one of those games. It's a a, a trenches a trenches game. Like everything's in the trenches, you know. It's just hip hop. Um, but um, I could say one thing that we never done was we never did no no artist wrong, not from my perspective. Mm. You know I mean? um, even when the stories came up came out about uh, we doing Uzi wrong, there was nothing done wrong. You know what I mean? We had a fair contract. Uh, we moved forward from that and you can see that you know it was nothing if you're not going if you're stealing money from somebody that's a high that's a high claim you know what i'm saying somebody's never going to be friends with you again if you're stealing somebody's money it just don't work like that mm-hmm. so the fact that things come out and you know artists have a lot to learn labels have a lot to learn about the artists and as we as we move forward we're getting to a place where uh more artists are understanding their rights what their money means what certain things mean. So we're moving in a positive way to understand. So we don't get in this space where labels are still being grimy to the artists or, you know, vice versa. I'm looking at this joint, man. We two hours, 10 minutes in. What a nigga is fitting? <laughs> the gems are so crazy, though. Like, this is going to follow you through life. I mean, like, yeah. you laying down the blueprint right now, you know? Yeah. Especially yeah. for, like, because the younger generation, like, things are done so differently nowadays, and I don't feel like they're necessarily done right. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's kind of like this interview is going to pave the way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a random question. You a sneakerhead? I am. For yeah, it's sure. a lot of sneakers. I'm not, right I'm not a, uh, so again, let me break this down. I'm not a collector. And why I'm not a collector is because I wear my shit and I buy stuff because I want to be fresh. I don't buy stuff for the story. I got people around me that really dive into the story of the sneaker and want to wear it. I ain't into that. You know, there's some sneakers on the wall. Uh, Three of them are fit. Actually, all of them are my favorite. That don't mean they're on the wall for that reason. But uh, Virgil's one of the that 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 shoe meant so much to a lot of people. Uh, the Museum of Modern Arts and the Red October was one of the illest shoes Kanye made. The Air Mags was from Back to the Future. Y'all too young to see that movie. I've seen Back <laughs> to the Future, <laughs> but that, that, that was the sneak that we all was like, "Yo, what the hell is he doing?" The Easy One was one of the first sneakers I ever got. It was important. Um, this Jordan here, uh, Jordan 8, is good. That colorway, I don't know if they were trying to emulate the Phoenix Suns colorway, but the original colorway was fire. It was the red and black and the white with the gray and the black. So I know everything about the sneakers. I'm just not a worshiper. Like, I'm not the person. <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> yeah. I'm not putting it in the case. I'm wearing I wore every shoe I have. You know what I'm saying? Some yeah. people will leave that stuff and just not touch it. Now I'm wearing everything. You, know, you be I'm, cleaning them yourself too? Yeah, I rock it, don't stock it. I don't even <laughs> clean them. I come out dirty. Because it shows, like, when your sneakers are dirty from that caliber, like a high-end sneak, it shows the work that you put in to get them. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I wear those dirty. Like, you know what I mean? They wrinkled. Yeah, I got these. When they first came out, they worth $10,000, but I'm still rocking them, and they got my footprint in them. Nobody else is in these joints. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's where I get I, the, all that stock and shit. That's for... The real collectors. I'm not a collector. Maybe I can tell you about crazy, sneakers, but man. I want all of them. It's like taking 10 bands and they just put it in the shelf right there. Yeah, like, nah. <laughs> I mean, bro, you, bro, not even. Like, if I'm going to pay for these Red Octobers and they $6,000, I'm rocking them. 
I feel you. I'm with you 100%. I'm rocking them shits. That's like buying an expensive plug and I'm like, I ain't never using this song or sounds in this motherfucker. I'm going to just let it sit. And hey, you know what's crazy? I got it. When I started buying plugins, I actually started using them, bro. Because like when you crack a plugin, it's like, you know what I'm saying? I ain't gonna, but if, yeah. I, if I brought the plug in, they go finna you that shit, but I just pay my bread. It's bro. crazy. I know everybody don't got the money for it, but I'm gonna tell a story that I always wanna live by. When I was cracking plugins, bro, I had the worst time making beats. My shit would crash. I had <laughs> what? Shit. Yeah. Bro, the minute I got, remember, I started buying that shit and took all the shit off my computer, man, I had the best life in the world. I ain't, I ain't had a crash since. Nah, I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> that shit backwards now, though, bro. Yeah. Like most of the shit you buy, Crack where it better. That's some of them. Some of them. I ain't gonna put oh, y'all out there. Loops. Damn. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm just nah, it's like certain uh like VST plugins. Like I don't yeah. know. They crack y'all crackers work better. Fix y'all shit. <laughs> they probably they probably making them better. But I, <laughs> I, I start buying all that shit. You know what I mean? Like even back in the day, we used to get computers. They used to be on the street. You could get them hot and shit like that. And my shit wound up getting stolen. So you never should have bought that motherfucker, bro. Go buy that shit from the store. Karma's crazy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but yeah, like that's, you know, that's the thing on the sneakers. Like I ain't, you know, right now I got on some protection pack, New Balance. That ain't probably nobody's favorite sneak, but I just buy shit because I like it and I don't wear it. I'm not competing with nobody. Right. I feel it. I feel it. So any other like side hobbies you got going on? Uh, Side hobbies? Nah, like I just like the, you know, I work out. I've got the app. i got the music. Um, I study a lot, like, for my age, like, you know, I'm able to sit with somebody that's 14, like Mappa, and talk about the same people he's studying on the internet to make beats, because I look at them too. Um, I watch a lot of documentaries. Uh, financial, financial wealth is something that uh, I like speaking with people about because it's very important. And I think that people don't get a chance to do good things with their money uh, because we are oppressed. You know, I'm just speaking on the black side. We are oppressed as people to feel like we always got to have cash or we always got to have a stash or, you know, you don't want to invest because you can't touch it in five years or three years and you get upset. Like, we got to learn how to do uh, some good financial things. You know, I went on Earn Your Leisure and I did a great interview and uh, them guys are smart as hell talking about, uh, and I wanted to learn about finance because I've been I've always been in finance I started investing in 2005 and um I just always wanted to be an investing person you know what I said always mm-hmm. teaching people you know I'm not no financial guru but if we having a conversation about finance the one thing I can you know do is t- try to tell the young folks don't live on my mistakes I would buy a truck crash it get a new one spend all this money here and there. And then, you know, as as industry people, we have to buy certain things. Like I love clothes, I'll continue to buy it, but I make sure I buy as many clothes as I'm investing some money too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what's some stuff you like to do for fun? Uh, I used to play basketball for fun, but everybody wanna go to NBA and I don't wanna get hurt. So I don't <laughs> go to Lifetime Fitness and play with me. People no more. But don't nigga be trying bro, so hard. They trying to be in the NBA. It's like, bro, like they gonna get discovered in the gym. Yeah, like, bro, like, I'm not. I'm not in that space. But man, I love basketball. I love watching the NBA. What's your team? Uh, Lakers always been my there team. There you go. <laughs> you know what I mean? For sure. Lakers been my team since '96. So you a Kobe fan? Yeah, I play with Kobe. They, he was the reason that I actually went to the Lakers because in high school I watched his come up and uh, and I watched. Uh, him get to the NBA and win a championship. 
right and, there was like, that nigga just wow. said that nigga just said yeah, I played with Kobe just said this shit so smooth yeah, he like, wasn't on my team he played for Lower Marion I played for Roxburgh but we had a league out there called Sunny Hill and we always played each other he um, his sister would come to his games he was there it was a lot of basketball players that used to give him hell out there you'll even hear him say that you know some of the toughest defenders he played was in high school it was like Donnie Carr or some other people but I watched his growth and I followed his growth most kids, when I came up, Michael Jordan was their favorite player. Charles Barkley was my favorite player. Mm. And I wore everything Charles Barkley, but we were all independent. So, like, if me and you was hanging out and you wore Jordans, I'd never get in your bag. I'd just wear pennies or I'd wear, you know, if, if she wore, uh, you know, Adidas, I'd wear Fila. It's just what, what we came up to. Everybody right now is just doing what everybody else is doing. But it was like, oh, y'all like Jordan? Fuck it, I don't like Jordan. I like Charles Barkley. But I really like Jordan, but I like Charles Barkley. That's my player. So I would get everything Barkley was doing. And then when Philly traded him, I was like, I ain't fucking with the Sixers no more. They trade my favorite player? Oh, <laughs> hell no. You know what I'm saying? So I just started, you know, rocking with the Lakers when Kobe went there and he never got traded. He stayed there. So it's been my team since 96. Yeah. I was just telling um, we was at IHOP and I was telling him about this film. Um, yeah, it's the uh, it's about the 08 Dream Team on Netflix, the mm -hmm. Redeem Team. Yep. And this is one part. It's when uh, LeBron, Wade, Carmelo, basically the younger team, um, <clears throat> they went out partying that night, and they had to go to practice that next day. So they going into the hotel at like 4 a.m. And it's just the way they set up the scene. Like they the ele they said the elevator open and Kobe coming out the elevator. So this nigga leaving the hotel 4 a.m. This nigga sweating, ready to go lift weights, then go practice. And I was just like, that's just make a nigga f like. It had me like, nah, I ain't gonna make some beats or some shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm gonna honestly tell you, I ain't never said this to nobody on on a camera either. That when they won their first uh, championship, I cried. Like, I'm a grown man. I cried because I actually seen where he came from. I used to be at St. Joe's um, College in Philadelphia, and I used to go to the gym. I used to play, and I used to thought I was a hard worker. And I used to see uh, Kobe shooting jump shots by himself in there, and for hours, I leave, play six games on the other side, come back, he's still in there. And I, you know, I never walked up on him, disturbed him, none of that. I just was just looking like, wow. So the fact that he made it to the NBA and did that championship made me feel like, man, I watched all that. I watched the games where they gave him hell. He was at the end of the bench crying because he wanted to be the greatest basketball player. And he, it was just people better than him at that time. But he worked so hard to get there, you know what I mean? And when I seen it, I was like, wow, I really can do this shit. Like, I got, I really can make it in music. And that shit is motivational. Yeah, so that was like when people say, yo, when them videos come out, you seeing him really working two hours, again, rest two hours more, rest two hours more. That was really him. I was really him. I ain't gonna lie, that shit just... Yeah, that that's shit, I don't know if it's the light of my eye, but damn. Nah, that's, like, <laughs> that's a motivation, bro. That's motivation. You know what I mean? But well, wrap up the interview. You want to ask the last one? Oh yes. Okay. So TV said that you're gonna answer this humbly, but I don't want you to answer this humbly. Oh, I want shit. you to tell us why do you classify as a legend? Why I classify as a legend? Um, the one thing I say that made me a legend is just how many people I put on. I think anywhere I go in the world anybody know about me they know how many people I put on and how many people I helped to get there um, that's what makes me a legend it's nothing I could have did on my own to make me a legend uh, one of the things is being a servant you know I speak about God a lot but that's one thing is being a servant 
And anybody's coming, you can ask them. You can ask Metro how, I, you know, I helped him. You know, uh, I spoke with his mother about it. You know, rest in peace to his mother about helping him at 17 years old. You know, he came to my crib. He sat on my couch. I gave him drums. We talked. Uh, I got him. I got him and helped him get his first placement, which was Alley Boy on Atlantic. And um, you know, you can ask Hip Boy. I met Hip Boy out here and Chase. Like these is guys that I helped. I just used my, I used what I had to help them guys. I just felt like a lot of people were just talented people. You can look at somebody like Arise Laflair, which I helped him. You know what I mean? I helped just anybody that's coming up. Anybody that has any China any kind of involvement with me, I helped them like 1500 or nothing. They one of the biggest things out. I did everything I could to help them get to a place where I was, you know what I'm saying? So that's what makes me a legend. That's not in a humble space. It's just, I helped a lot of people get on and people know that about me. Anybody, all the new guys, like anybody coming up, people come like he helped, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's what, that's what I'm giving back to the game. I can't take from the culture and not give to the culture. One thing I wind up giving to the culture is helping people. Always reaching back out to the community. That's I just hard. helped you get on the phone with somebody you're trying to get on the phone with. Right. Hey, this shit's smooth. <laughs> they can do it in a few minutes. You know what I mean? Like, so that, that's what I like. Like, especially like you came in with the conviction. Like, I even met you once before, I think, in the kitchen here. And you was trying to get me to do this joint over again. Yeah. <laughs> you and, remember uh, that? Yeah, I remember everything. I'm an elephant. <laughs> and then uh, I was like, if they're coming, like TC spoke so highly of you and just like, you know, I wanted it. And it's crazy because when we came to the interview first with him, I think they, my friend was like, man, he ain't coming. He too big time to come to the interview, da, da, da. And I think I was like, like 10 minutes late, something had happened. Yeah, and I yeah, pulled up and I coming. walked in and they was looking at me like, oh shit, he actually came. Like, but you know, everybody was, some people was in the room, they was like, <laughs> I felt like the energy was wrong. And I was like, damn, I'm just, I'm showing up because, you know, I know about a lot about this show. Like, motherfuckers be coming on here speaking their truth. And I just wanted to be on there. So I even reached out numerous times, like, when the show here? When the show here? Until it just broke down. Like, yo, bro, the audio was fucked up. <laughs> right, you knew the audio was fucked up. It was all in my face. I was like, yeah. <sighs> and I was hitting them. So nobody was getting with the answer. I'm like, damn, I did something wrong. Like, niggas not fucking with me or something. Like, so when I finally found the audio, I was like, oh, no, we're going to do that shit over then. And it was like, word? I was like, yeah, fuck it. Let's do it over again. You know what I'm saying? I go like, down the real one, bro. Nah, I'm the real, yeah, I was. I wanted to do that shit over because I'm sick. I'm, the whole time I did the interview, I'm like, damn, I smacked that joint, right? Yeah, this shit so, was smooth, too. So then I'm looking, I'm watching the spins on there, watching you know, all these people. I'm like, damn, these all my compadres. I'm like, damn, when I'm going to come out? And I'm hitting them, nobody saying shit. I'm like, oh, no, what I, I don't want that. You know we guess we ain't saying nothing. Yeah. You know, fuck so they finally broke down and told me what's happening. I was like, oh, that ain't shit. We do that shit over. Fuck it. They was heartbroken. They yeah. were. Nah, it's all good, In no perfect time. Nah, yeah, it's right. all good. It's all good. Nah, man, I appreciate you for hopping on the show, man. This was a crazy episode right here. Y'all make sure y'all run this back, watch it two times, you feel me? No doubt. With that being said, shout out to Mimi again from Producing Culture, you feel me? Yeah, you got the game, yeah. But yeah, that's a wrap. I'll see you on the next episode. For sure. sure.